Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optic Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back with another podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things today, kind of a, a random, all-over-the-place podcast, mostly because we did a podcast two days ago mm-hmm. with Joe Risi, who people have heard on this podcast before, about forgiveness, and the microphone didn't work. And so now we're just, we had to pull some together last second. So yeah. we're going to kind of talk about some. We're going to get, we're going to get the episode up. Up, yeah. And it was really good. It we talked a little bit really... about Keller's book and yeah. some dynamics in that, but also forgiveness as it's more misunderstood now. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Super good podcast. Yeah, it's a really good episode. It does take a long time to add it. So, um, but we did get an email from a listener. Uh, we answered their question in episode 79, uh, which I believe was called. Um, episode 79 was how can Christians turn their heart towards God? This person sent this question in, uh, and, and we answered it. And then they kind of sent in a longer email to give us a little bit more back background. Yeah. I, I guess, Nick, without giving Which you too don't much, normally encourage, right? <laughs> you can't do it. We won't <laughs> normally say anything about it. But right. I, I think one of the reasons why it's worth saying some stuff about is because I think this issue of, mm. um, sometimes people call spiritual direction. Like what do you do when you're confused or you don't know the way forward is pretty, is more common. I think than maybe it was at other moments mm-hmm. because people are finding their difficulty with Christian faith, not to be so much intellectual as emotional. Yeah. They think it's intellectual. I mean, people feel like it's intellectual, mm-hmm. but that's, I don't know why. So yeah, is. I think yeah. both of those confusions are happening. I think some people will say, I have these intellectual objections against Christianity. And right. when you really probe them, the motivation is mm-hmm. very emotional. In, well, in the sense, it's very personal. Yeah. So it's not just mere emotion and it's like mm-hmm. they're just being crazy or something. Mm-hmm. It's it's like they um, there's something about their social arrangement or something about yeah. their relationships with other people or they can't bear to say to somebody something they won't like. or mm-hmm. And that makes that creates a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And anxi- the way anxiety presents itself is to rearrange what you think and believe and how you're going to function yeah. so that your your like more primal and internal right. mind doesn't have to feel anxious. And a lot of times what that means is you walk away from important things so that you can feel better. Mm. And that process that happens in human beings is not super conscious. Most mm-hmm. people do not know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so they'll just reject a lot of views, a lot of views that are like really clearly true mm-hmm. because they just their mind doesn't want to deal with the anxiety that it causes. A mm. good a good example that almost anybody, everybody struggles with is how much information there is out there. Mm. Right. One of the things we see with like tons of people is they just, they just narrow in on a view. Mm-hmm. They listen to this news they like, yeah. and it's not like they're people are just stupid. It's just like, there's so much anxiety to say, like there's so many views out there. Right. The problem is not that everybody's wrong, but like way more people are right than I want to think are right. right. And to live in a world that's nuanced and complicated and difficult and is diverse, yeah, right. even people who say that they love diversity, right. they just, you cannot handle the amount of diversity right. that exists in the world and people's thought, right. actions, and beliefs. Right. So in that sense, like people say, okay, well, I'm just going to like, you're, so their anxiety, a lot, mm-hmm. instead of being like, well, I'm going to be really humble and just kind of open, but like mm-hmm. focus on some things that they just, they get really partisan. And these are really, some of these people are very intelligent. Yeah. Some are not as intelligent. I mean, the person that I had a friend a couple of years ago committed suicide and this is, these are the very things that he, I mean, he's a really smart guy. I went to UW and had really good grades and like, didn't even really try, but he, mm-hmm. you know, one of those, and he, 
all there's all these objections to Christianity and and they were like now that I look back, a lot of them were very there's all these emotions around it and the way that people acted towards him or his relationships with people that affected how he viewed Christianity. But he internalized it and then turned it into this intellectual problem that he right. kind of was. I guess it he it makes it seem to me when somebody turns it into an intellectual problem, it seems more deceptive because it's like. Then I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess you have intellectual issues with this. But at the end of the day, it's even if you give them the correct answer or you tell them the truth and it makes sense, it's not they're not looking for an intellectual answer. They're looking for an emotional answer to the to the issues that they have or something like that. Because yeah, it gets confusing. There's a well-known it, form of what psychologists maybe still call repression, called mm -hmm. intellectualization, where you take an issue that is not really an intellectual question yeah. and you add into it. Like you make it an intellectual question in your mm -hmm. mind because you can, you're trying to get your head around it. Mm -hmm. And you're trying, a lot of times you're trying to use principles or be conscientious. Mm -hmm. Usually highly conscientious people do this. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you can't really solve it mm -hmm. intellectually because it's not really an intellectual question. question. And mm -hmm. it's hard to figure out like how much you, how much emotional weight you put on things if you're yeah. trying to intellectualize it. So one example of this is when, when people think about sexual ethics, it's very difficult to just do that rationally. Just yeah. be like, well, let's go through the rationality of sexual ethics. A lot yeah. of people, people have a lot of their own personal vested interests. And then there's a lot of politics around it and whether or not you belong or whether you're mm -hmm. ha a hater or whatever, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. it's imp almost impossible. Like, go, like yeah. okay, this counts as this much and that counts as this much. So you yeah. end up like you end up intellectualizing a problem yeah. when it's really like, I emotionally do not want to tell this person. I think that they shouldn't do X. Yeah. They shouldn't engage yeah. in fornication or they shouldn't yeah. embrace certain desires yeah. or these desires are, I think are, um, are deviant or yeah. broken or. Yeah. And, the uh, argument that I always hear with the sexual stuff is people who are engaging in sexual sin will be like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. Or like, like they have this, it's the dumbest thing ever, but at that, it, they're kind of the exception to the norm that it doesn't affect them, that they can like do sexual stuff with their boyfriend or girlfriend and it's not going to affect them the way that it affects more immature people and stuff. And mm -hmm. I, I've, I mean, that happens all the time. I mean, we, we have a thing at high point called forgiven and free for guys who are struggling with sexual sin. And that's like one of the top arguments that they, that people just are super convinced that they're the, they're, they're the, the exception, exception to yeah. the, to the norm. And I'm just like, this is, yeah, I don't think exceptionalist reasoning is, is now like sometimes it's sometimes it's true mm -hmm. i mean there are some things that other people if other people do them it will harm them and that if you do them you know what has to be done so that the thing won't harm you yeah so the reason why why exceptional thinking like that sometimes work right. why so many people believe in it is because right. some a very small right. band of things it's actually right. true mm -hmm. but in most cases yeah it's a for another form of emotional reasoning you right. think that you're being rational yeah but you're really right. doing what right. you want yeah Right. And that's, I mean, that's just, that's, that's really common. So I think, yeah. I think it's important to recognize that when, uh, for some people, um, there, are, there are objection, intellectual objections to Christianity that are worth talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's, mm -hmm. I'm not denying that at all. Um, however, the emotional processes mm -hmm. around things, those questions mm -hmm. and around our lives are a lot stronger than sometimes people think. Mm -hmm. And they often determine how we're thinking about it, but also how we're feeling. Mm -hmm. So people, some people will think that they have an intellectual issue and they're actually obsessing emotionally mm -hmm. on an intellectual question they either can't solve or is being framed badly and so on. Yeah. Or secondly, they, they'll say, look, I don't have any particular, and this is, I think we hear this more with people who are, have been churchgoers, but mm -hmm. are struggling with their faith. They'll say something like, 
I believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. I actually believe in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But my heart, I just can't get my heart in it. Right. I just feel, I just feel kind of dead about it. I just, there's no verve in me. There's right. no excitement. I just feel flat. I just, I just, and I, I feel my, almost like my faith is leaving my body, mm-hmm. even though will wise, I want it to continue. And you, I think that yeah. phenomenon people feel passive about. They don't feel like they right. can do anything about it. It's just happening to them. Do you think that this is because of a certain set expectation by the church recently in recent years that if you want to become a Christian, you have to go through this overly emotional experience to come into the faith? My gen- my generation grew up in, obviously, there's all these conferences and all the, the loud music and smoke machines. And you come up to the front and you're supposed to have like be crying. And it's just an emotionally unstable room. But they say that this is the Holy Spirit moving. And so... I think so maybe some young people come into the faith that way. And then if they don't continue to have those types of experience throughout their faith, they think that their faith is dead or, or stale or that they can't get their heart into it. Is that why that these people are thinking that is because yeah. uh, they say, if you draw people by carnal means, you have to keep them by carnal means in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that's a reason. Yeah. Um, I mean, Christian faith, you want to appeal to emotion because in to some extent, because we are, we have emotions Yeah, and, um, you know, Jonathan Edwards said it, I want to appeal to the hearts or the affections, I think is the yeah, 18th yeah. century word he used as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. But then he said, given two caveats, one that it is to a truth declared, mm-hmm. not just an emotionalism and mm-hmm. in proportion to the truth declared. Right. So there's like, there's a way in which our emotions are supposed to go along with the things that we see and believe. Mm-hmm. And in proportion to the things that we see and believe. Mm-hmm. And when we don't have emotion around something that we really believe, people recognize that's a malfunction. Like if you say to your wife, I love you so much, mm-hmm. but you don't seem to have any affection yeah. in that, that's off. And then there mm-hmm. should be some proportion there too. Like if you get angry <laughs> and you go from zero to a hundred miles yeah. an hour in two seconds, right. it's like, wait, this is, you, people will feel yeah. like it's wrong though, because you've, you're overreacting. There's no yeah. proportion to your response. So yeah. we want that emotional response in Christian mm-hmm. faith, but um, but there are ways in which emotionalism can be a real problem. So and it can lead people to seek ever increasing emotional yeah. experiences, which can of course can never happen. And, yeah, and the the word yeah the word affection I've read a lot of the Puritans lately, and they use that word a lot. I guess everybody in the 1800s, 1700s seems to use that word. Mm-hmm. What what's the difference between affections and emotion? This like uh, exper- experientialism or the emotional experientialism is that the the right word? Experientialism or something fine, like yeah. that uh, is. What's the difference between what are they talking about to have affection towards God or you know I don't know like I've I've yeah. read that I kind I think I have an understanding of it, but for people who don't li- live in the eighteen hundreds, they don't know what that means. Yeah. So emotion in us develops in a number of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes emotion can spike over certain particular events. And Mm -hmm. we tend to, sometimes it can be relatively overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so it it almost feels like something else is happening to us. So sometimes our emotions can feel like they're happening to us. And sometimes it feels like they're like naturally coming up and out of us. Mm -hmm. So like some kid, like you can imagine a mom hanging with her child who's two Mm -hmm. and it's just a nice moment 
son's coming in the side of the window and they're mm-hmm. playing on the floor and their kid is like, you know, doing something they didn't do two months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really wholesome, beautiful moment in mm-hmm. her. She's able to just, just take it in mm-hmm. and she feels it kind of coming up and, like, yeah. and she's not like, and maybe it comes up to a level of overwhelming, but it feels like it naturally yeah. comes up and it's part of who she is. It's part sure. of what's really happening. It's rooted in all that stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. it feels natural. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's different than an emotional experience that seems to be like mm. it, it's, it almost feels like it's happening to you. So mm-hmm. sometimes it can happen because of psychologically unhealthy situations, like tra- like you're getting triggered. Yeah. And it almost feels like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. And sometimes right. it can f- there can be a way in which something overwhelms you, mm-hmm. which in some ways can be good. Like if somebody you didn't think loved you says, I love you, and mm-hmm. it's like, it really hits you really hard. Mm-hmm. It, it might not feel that way. But anyway, the, the Puritan mm-hmm. idea of affections was you have a lot of control over what your affections are going to be. You mm-hmm. might not be able to control everything about your emotions right now. Yeah. But the way you form yourself as a person is going to f- profoundly affect your emotional life. Yeah. So your affections have a lot to do with what you believe and mm-hmm. what you what you rehearse and what mm. rituals you have and yeah. how your ordinary life functions. And so the Puritans cared a lot about our our internal world, that it was ordered to the truth, and also right. that we engage in, in the kinds of practices that led to mm-hmm. a wholesome life. And right. in doing so, our affections would be directed in the right way. But I, okay, so there's people, obviously like this guy who sent this email and it sounds like, uh, is it, is it wrong for people to measure their faith on the basis of what their affections are or what they feel emotionally about Christianity? Because there's something to like, I mean, when you read about, uh, we did the podcast on, on, uh, we did it on not, not the reformation, but, uh, revival. We did what is revival. And, was it Wesley who went and saw, um, it was either Wesley or Whitfield. Wesley saw Whitfield and then something like stirred up in his heart. And that's when he became like a real true Christian or something. I mean, that's when his life changed yeah, at that point. He went to a Bible study at Aldersgate with Moravian Christians. And somebody was yeah. reading either the introduction to Luther's commentary on Romans or Galatians. Oh, yeah. Nobody's yeah. really totally sure about that. I think he, I th- Wesley said it was Romans. Mm-hmm. And he said that, he felt his heart strangely warmed. Mm-hmm. He felt that he did believe in Christ, that right. Christ died for him. Because right. he'd always believed that Jesus had died for the world. Right. And there's a difference. Yeah. But there yeah. was a kind of personal breakthrough at that moment where he just, he like was felt very deeply that he believed Christ died for him. Now, mm-hmm. that's an emotional experience that I don't think has to be emotionalism. No, I don't think that is either. I think yeah. that that's makes sense. There's some, like you said, there's some sort of emotional aspect but, to the gospel and how it yeah. affects you. But how can people how do you measure then going forward? Because in the, in questions like this and in, in probably other situations that we've both been in, we talk to people who are Christians and they say, oh, I just don't feel like I'm into, like, am I, I'm not, I don't feel like a Christian right now mm-hmm. or I feel like I'm, you know, the faith is leaving me. How much merit should we give that, those feelings? I mean, as Christians, is there is there actually some truth to that? Your, you, your faith could just be dying and you just, yeah. like, you're just done being a Christian or, or what? Yeah. Okay. I want to be. I want to be careful because I don't want to say ignore your feelings because I think a lot of people already do that. Do that, and it's yeah. not good, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think letting your feelings decide things. So, I generally speaking, I think of my feelings as gauges. Yeah. In my body, that will say, "Hey, there's something wrong here." Yeah. And not, but I don't. I and then they'll also say they'll also indicate kind of like what they think the problem is. Hmm. So my emotions will be like. This is not okay. Or this is going really great. Right. And here's the problem. Or here's what's great. Right. And then I go, okay, Mm -hmm. thank you. 
<laughs> but then I'm still the right. engineer. Like I still have right. to be like, okay, so what, what is right. going on? And right. is this right? Yeah. So I think that when people have those feelings about Christian faith, I think what often happens is they don't have the categories for what mm. is going on. Mm. Right. And so their Christian faith is the overarching thing that gives order to their life in terms of like how they understand what's going on and mm. they understand themselves. Mm. So what they know is there's something amiss Mm-hmm. That thing is really significantly negative relative to their emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And so then now they start moving up the ladder of what to blame, or like mm-hmm. the, at least they're like their emotional mind is doing that, their intuitive mm-hmm. mind. And mm-hmm. so you start moving up the ladder, you don't you don't know what it is, right? And so what right. you're going to run into is like yourself in the general sense, right? And then your beliefs, right? And so that's why intellectualization is really um, is really attractive, is because you're like, well, maybe it's my worldview. Hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why when younger, why younger people are so prone to reject their parents' worldview. Because they, they're not, they're not actually struggling with the worldview. They're struggling with their parents. They're, 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 their parents, but they're struggling with themselves, their with own themselves. emergence into right. adulthood and emergence yeah. into adulthood is terrifying. It's yeah. difficult. It's very destabilizing. Right. And so you have all this emotion, anxiety right. and difficulty and you want freedom and you want right. to be accepted by other people. And you get, you have all this emotion you don't look, so you don't right. like constraint, Right. And you also feel like there's something wrong. Yeah. And so you start moving up your your mental ladder mm-hmm. of like what could be wrong. And you end up hitting your parents' yeah. worldview, their right. values, right. their right. Yeah. And so it's very normal for, for mm-hmm. somebody to be like, oh, that's what's wrong. Mm-hmm. My parents' religion, my parents' right. values, my parents' worldview, my parents' whatever. But I don't understand what I don't understand is that when that happens, they then attach themselves to a different worldview, oftentimes put together by a different author- authoritative structure or authoritative group. So Yes, but almost always evaluated positively by their peers. Yeah, that... Which alleviates yeah. a lot of anxiety. Right, I mean... Because a lot of anxiety, in fact, almost all the anxiety that adolescents have is surrounding acceptance by their peers. Yeah, yeah. Because they haven't gotten... They, they know that they need acceptance by a wider group of people than their yeah. parents. But they don't understand who's really going to open doors for them. Right. And they're and they are experiencing for the first time the dramatic maturation of their, of their fertility. Now... Mm-hmm. Hardly any 14-year-old girl is going to say, I'm really struggling with the maturation of my maturity, right? But that's what puberty is. Yeah. And so and so, one of the things that we've done to people is we have separated fertility from maturation. So when a girl is becoming a woman, we don't say, you're becoming capable of being a mother. Yeah. And that's really different. Right. Yeah. As opposed, as opposed, the woman doesn't see herself as a potential mother. She sees herself as a potential sex object. Right. And which and is how she's treated. There's a lot of talk of independence as well. Yeah. And those are that, that those are two very difficult, different things to conceptualize. Right. Mm-hmm. As a, as a, you're growing as a woman and one, you're, you're physically maturing. So, mm-hmm. so, oh, I could be the object of sexual interest. Mm-hmm. Am I good enough to receive that? And, oh, I'm maturing. I could become pregnant and have a child and be a mother. Those are very different things. They're involved in someone's sense with each other. Mm -hmm. And women's women are basically, they're not hearing this culture message of like, Oh, this Mm -hmm. is exciting. You're going to be a mature woman and you could find a spouse and you could be a mother just like everybody else. Right. And so it's like, no, how good of a sex object are you? Yeah. Which of course increases the anxiety and the frustrations Mm -hmm. because they have an unnatural approach and they have a, an abusive context yeah and if you have an unnatural approach to a human function and then you have an abusive context which is a a sexualized objectified world what do you think is going to happen right and so no matter what the worldview is that 
that girl, if her world, see, the problem, part of the problem with the Christian worldview is not the Christian worldview. It's that we don't understand how the Christian worldview functions down into natural, normal life. Mm-hmm. And so because it doesn't affect our understanding of sexuality and our body and our emotions and our, uh, and everything else, when we have trouble with those things, mm-hmm. those things push up against our faith. Mm-hmm. And if we don't know our faith has answers, all we have for our faith is a faith that we have in us. Mm-hmm. We don't have the the real Christian yeah, faith. Yeah, we have yeah. this version that we've right. conceptualized. Yeah. Which for most people is inadequate for their lives. Yeah. And if they don't come within the teaching mm-hmm. of the church or under the, te- under the leadership of pastors or something that can help them, th- they don't. And so what happens is that intuitive mind pushes against that and displaces that Christian faith because it, the mind yeah. needs a scapegoat. I mean, I think in some ways... That's true, but the the I think the perpetuators of the problem are, is in America, the pastors and the churches who aren't giving a full, comprehensive, understandable, deep version of Christianity to their congregants. I mean, I went to churches in Minnesota that were like, when we were looking for different churches, we went to like maybe five or six different churches, and. All but like one of them was just this shallow, like just, I don't know, you know, those like big, big, like all white mega church uh, type situations, like all white people, mm-hmm. mega churches. They got like $80,000 cameras and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, it's all shallow nonsense, basically. I mean, I we went to these sermons and it was like. Immediate, it was, at least immediate felt needs. Yeah. It was like motivational mm-hmm. speeches. I mean, yeah. and so. I, I don't know which if is the intellectual level most people operate at. Right, but I but I think well, I do you think they operate at that because they've been told to operate at that, or because it's where they're capable of operating? I think that people are capable. Those of Those are not the only deeper. two options. What are the other? What are the other? I mean, do, how they've been formed. Well, right, like they've been they've told to. That's people. where I'm at. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I would they've say been programmed a, that a profoundly way. inadequate. Yeah. we're living in a world that's increasingly more complicated, and the education that we offer people is not in keeping with it. Mm-hmm. I think that's. That's very significant. And but I mean, I blame the, I blame the church. I mean, I blame the seminaries who are pumping out these pastors who don't know what they're talking about, and then they go and they start churches, and then they yeah. they teach their people the very, very, very surface level, sometimes even wrong things about Christianity, and then the people don't understand how to think about their own Christianity, and then they go to work and they go to school and they hear a different philosophy that's got a little bit more depth than the one that what they heard at yeah. church, and then they give up their faith. I mean, that happened to dozens of my friends growing up. They they just quit on Christianity because the the stuff we were getting at church was not it was it was shallow, and the stuff we were getting at school was shallow, but it was a little bit more deep. It was just like an inch deeper, but that's what made the difference. Yeah, did you ever see the movie? What's, there was this movie years ago with Eddie Murphy in it, and Daddy Daycare. Yeah, Daddy's Daycare. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, yeah, Daddy oh, Daycare. That, yeah, yeah, that's a cla- that's classic. And there's this, and he, so he's like, he's <laughs> got this Daddy. job where he's trying to sell cereal uh, yeah, that's ba- yeah. made with vegetables. Vegetable, veggies. And this, yeah, and this other guy is selling like chocolate <laughs> yeah, puffs. Yeah, right. And he's like, sales, yeah. the guy who sells the chocolate puffs, yeah. you're like, sales are through the roof. <laughs> and Eddie Murphy's like, it is not hard to sell yeah. chocolate, chocolate puffs puff. to yeah. kids. Right. Like, come on. Right. And so on, on yeah. one level, listen, I, I think that there is a certain amount of which yeah, the yeah. world is marketing right. the flesh. Right. 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 It's like selling chocolate puffs yeah. to people. Yeah. And yes, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, this is sales are through the roof. You right. know, like right. when, whenever a like really like worldly person is like, you know, Christianity is so stupid. Like everybody's listening to me. And I'm like, you're selling flipping chocolate puffs. Yeah. Like, right. of course, right. sales are through the roof. Right. Like right. that's human nature. Like 
I'm sorry, but I'm yeah. not intimidated by that. Right. So I think yeah. one of the difficulties, and so because the church is a volunteer organization, nobody makes you go to church except for right. maybe your parents, right? But like any, so yeah. like when I preach on Sunday morning, there is a interlocking relationship between what right. the people will hear and what I will preach. Yeah. And um, a lot for a lot of people, like one of the reasons why those churches where people are being quote really shallow mm-hmm. are really full sometimes mm-hmm. is because one um, people are pretty harassed and helpless and are barely hanging on in those kind of motivational talks they find helpful to get through their week. They're not yes. thinking about the development yeah. of their soul over 20 right. years. No, they're I thinking about like, they've got two kids. Can yeah. I keep my marriage together? Yeah. And so they're living in these day-to-day existential problems. And when those sermons yeah. speak to those immediate felt needs, yeah. it feels really relevant. And now I do think over time you can learn a lot that way. It's almost like being apprenticed. Like if you go to a job site and the, the carpenter's like, here's the hammer. We're going to build a wheelchair ramp today. Mm-hmm. And you you don't learn the basics of carpentry. You learn how to build that wheelchair ramp, right? Mm-hmm. Over time, if you have a faithful shepherd, by moving through the immediate work of daily operations, you can learn a lot of the structure of being a carpenter. And I think with Christian faith, you can go to a lot of shallow sermons and lo- learn a lot of like basic ideas, and you can mm-hmm. ultimately put it together. But but it's without the box top, it's hard to put the puzzle together. And yeah. I do think that, I, but so I think part of it is like the trans, the trans do not underestimate the transformation in the worldview of the United States. Like I'm 45 years old, which is old to people like you, but it's, yeah. it's not that long I've been alive. So I've been an adult for maybe for 25 years. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 30 years. Right. Yeah. And the, the way human beings look at religion, society, money, responsibility, sexuality right. Right. has changed more in that period of time than in the five, maybe the 300 years previous. Mm. And then the 50 years before that, going back through the 1960s and so on, it did the same thing again. And so you start looking at it and like in the last 150 years, which is only like three human generations, Mm -hmm. human views have just radically radically changed. changed. And so people just don't know how to metabolize that. And pastors are in the same boat as anybody else. Yeah. I mean, they're normal people and our seminary professors in trying to like figure out the synthesis, they're just all over the place. Some are like, we've got to hold everything in the past. Others are like, Oh, we got to change everything. And and there's people in between. And it's very disorienting. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I get that. I, I'd still like what I can, maybe I'm not the same as all these people, but I, it felt refreshing to me to be able to go to a church that was able to answer my questions. Like I, I, I didn't go to a church that answered any questions. And then I did. And I have, I mean, I have a couple of friends too, who, who came to our church and they're like, Oh, this is nice. All the other churches are giving me a bunch of surface level crap. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I agree if that people can through a long period of time. So I agree with that, uh, that people through a long period of time can use motivational speeches to understand the Christian motivational speeches to understand some of the uh, functional or more deeper parts of Christianity. But I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true anymore. You just did the podcast on Christianity and liberalism with Annalise mm-hmm. on the Feminine Not Feminist podcast. At what point are people, uh, is it really important to dig into the definitions of work, like to make sure that they understand exactly what they're being preached? Because I think a lot of people... For instance, like I got a friend uh, who I grew up, went to church with, Evangelical Free Church. He now runs a, a media site called Midwestern Marks. He's a Marxist. And he uh, he's a nice guy. And I talk to him. We talk every once in a while. And he, um, 
But he, so a guy named Cornell West is running to be the president mm-hmm. right now. I mean, this guy, he sits on the on the chair of okay, I'm going to tell, tell you right now. I really like Cornel West. Do you really? I mean, I'm I don't agree with him. Yeah, he's like a Marxist. I mean, he's like a socialist he, he, crazy. Sort of, but he is the most thoughtful one I've ever read anything by. And when all the cancel stuff was happening. Yeah, he was anti. He was so I mean, right. he came out with Robert George, who is a very conservative Catholic guy. Yeah. And he was like, Look, no. Yeah. We will talk about things. And so he's not a Marxist in the Leninist no, no, sense. No. I, I he get believes that. in a workers movement yeah. and that people who work for, like work for a living, yeah. like the, they yeah. they can't pay their bills. And like listen, right. food like food prices for those sorts of people have gone up like seventy six percent. And no, so, I, so like yeah. Like but, so but yes, Cornell West is definitely on the left and he right. annoys the crap out of me in certain ways. But I I also think he's a believer. I think he's even You heaven. think he's a believer? He's oh, like a pro LGBTQ. He's like all into that crap. I mean, I, I, I th- do not. I think that that's a blindness. I do not think you can be. A, so I, I guess I, this is my conservatism or whatever, yeah. but I do not think you can be. You can get rid of like 80 percent of the New Testament and think and say that you're a Christian. What if conservatives are inhuman towards the poor? We just don't see it. Can we be Christians? I just don't think we are. I like I, I don't think trying but, but to help if, people. Have, but what if we were? What if we were blind to it? And our views on like what really will help people in poverty and what what really is non-toxic charity and how economic growth really can help people at all levels. What if that's actually wrong and we don't understand what it's like to be poor and what we're doing isn't really a sufficient help? Yeah, I mean, and therefore wrong and inhuman. I could, are we are we still Christians? See, I don't. I think because okay. see, my my no, I see. Part of my issue here is is like I am hoping that when I face the Lord, He is going to call me innocent not because of Christ. But also because the reason why my faith in Christ is the only thing is because I I sought to tr- do you know how like in the Old Testament there were there were even the kings that were faithful mm-hmm. it said it says but they didn't take down the high places mm-hmm. and offerings were still offered there and yet there's like a positive judgment on the king like he served the Lord in his day like in lots mm-hmm. of ways but man he didn't do this thing and ultimately after he dies like that comes back that comes back to bite him. Right, right. And sometimes I feel like, I feel like um, being L- LGBTQ. Um, Pro LGBTQ. Yeah, in in the like, affirm all things kind of way. Yeah. Um, in the like the ideology and the gender ideology, the, the sexual ideology that goes along with it. I think those things are anti-Christian. Yeah. Um, I think that West, and I don't know West's view and if there's any nuance in it, mm-hmm. right? But I think those are anti-Christian. However. I still wonder, like, I still wonder sometimes if, like, people who have incorporated those into a faith that they're trying to work out, to what extent Jesus is tolerant of those things. And I just don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I, I, I certainly don't want to believe anything. Like, just like, I don't want to have paper clips that aren't mine. I don't want to have, right. like, any stole, I don't want to have stolen anything from anybody in my possession when Jesus returns. Right. I also don't want to have anything, any falsehoods in my beliefs when Jesus returns. Yeah. But there, but it. There are going to be. There's going to be falsehoods. I think it's to what degree or to what level and how much it how much it impacts the way that you actually understand and see the gospel. And I think that I, I think my issue with the argument about the poor is not that I think that we might be a little bit blind to think or maybe our attitude could be blinded. But I don't think that our methods and what we believe about how to help poor people is, is wrong. I think it's been statistically proven true and correct. I think that what these people believe about LGBTQ is li- it's statistically not true. It's not good for people. Transgender ideology is not good for people. People are killing themselves. It's not good for kids. They're pro that stuff for kids. Like mm-hmm. I just look at like 
the the whole like you teach a what is it you give somebody a fish versus you teach mm-hmm. them how to fish like that's uh like the conservative the general conservative way of looking at this is we're gonna like help these people get jobs and get off their feet and mm-hmm. like help create a booming economy don't tax them as much like really and so yeah i mean yes yes and but, it worked it's but, worked but i understand why there's a people well we, we'll have to have your your friend on us on, you know, I know, on the yeah. political podcast at least. I, oh man he yeah but i think that, okay yeah, he, so, he, so, he says he's a christian okay too, so west is running yeah and okay like, and, and, and so and so he's taught so my friend is uh support he's like kind of he's got a decent sized platform he's like endorsed west and so mm-hmm. um and i would and, i would prefer west to biden yeah, no, look, I watch Wes because I think I think Wes believes in liberty. Yeah. I think he just believes I think he's a communist he, or socialist yeah. in the sense that yeah. he believes that markets don't solve everything. Yeah. And you have to right. have a profound thing to the poor. And that's motivated. Yeah. That is motivated by his Christian. No, right. And I looked at his his video. So people don't see this. And this is what's interesting is that his his announcement video, I think, got like 30 million views on oh, youtube really? it blew up and so you look at that yeah but i think at, that sounds cool if you look at pence mm-hmm. you would think pence the former vice president would get more views not even close i think you get like two or three million not yeah. even close that and doesn't so, surprise me no it doesn't surprise me but it surprises a lot of it conservatives is, it is not just because west is black no no he i, I watched tr- the video he is a, like west says some things that are i think are crazy okay like yeah. like any like any intellectual like yeah. him part of it is he is a provocateur he is a dilettante that's kind of his personality in that sense he's like trump yeah he's just like way right. more intellectually grounded than trump you know yeah. what i mean you and, think so oh yes yeah. okay oh right. yeah yeah like if you listen to his lectures on um the souls of black folks or invisible man or like mm-hmm. like he does a really good job like he's yeah. he his desire to understand the human condition by reading but here's the thing west might be a socialist or marxist but like he's steeped in western literature yeah like socrates yeah. and and marx and american black literature but right. like he's not a less he's not a let's make the canon smaller he's like a let's read more kind of person yeah and I really admire that about him. So no, no, I, and and when Andrew and I watched his video, this just two and a half minute video, we we were both like, this seemed like it's compelling. It, but it's it, in some ways, and I agree with you that I'd rather this than Biden because I think, right? I mean, people even in the comments are like, Cornell is fully on board with free speech and open exchange of ideas. As a conservative, I love this since we have we have most of the good ideas. Like people are <laughs> people are on yeah. It's, but so so I'm not a yeah. hundred percent against him but my friend he he kind of was telling people that hey this is a guy that you can get behind as a marxist so they're full-on marxist you can get behind this as a marxist i mean and his he's a a free speech advocate there's no question about that he is yeah and And he's done it at personal cost and with white people right like it was like with like the white man i mean robert george is right he's not like a ugly white man but he's like a white guy who believes things that are considered Mm -hmm. white like right. Western literature and the greatness of mm-hmm. the achievements of Christianity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so his family, so my, my friend's family grew up going, they all grew up in the evangelical Christian mm-hmm. church. Uh, his, his dad is a public school teacher and I think they lean more left, but his, his, uh, my friend was like, look, you can vote for this guy and be a Christian. And so I was kind of, but mm-hmm. I don't know where I was going with that, but anyways, basically I think the, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we were talking about LGBTQ before this. I don't know. Anyways, he was just saying as a as a Marxist, Cornell West as a as a Christian that you could like vote for that. And I I had I think that rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, this is 
Cornell West might uh, say, I don't know how you can, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? How can you, um, what is it? Like mesh the two, like that he's pro LGBTQ. Yeah. yeah. How can you do, because when you look at his website too, it's, it's fairly like, it's pretty like Medicare for all, relativize our economy, mm-hmm. expand civil, civil liberties, which just, which in a lot of ways means like, uh, like guarantee equal rights for all Americans. That's like the pro LGBTQ pro abortion. Probably. I don't know if he's pro abortion, but that's what I would assume. Um, and like protect the environment end all wars, which I don't even know how you could do that. Uh, but, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, some of the, some of the left leaning stuff where I'm like, at what point has your your political ideology overtaken your theological perspective? I think guys like Cornell West make me nervous, uh, and I just don't know what to, I don't know like what you're supposed to do about this because if you think that he's a legitimate Christian, let's say Ron DeSantis isn't because I don't I don't know if Ron DeSantis is a Christian. He he's he's a Republican guy who probably says he's a Christian, but I don't know if he's really a Christian. If you really think that Cornell West is a Christian, then wouldn't you want to vote for a Christian to be in office? If no. You wouldn't. No, I mean, the way Luther said it was, he said, if I want a good pair of shoes, I'm going to go to the best shoemaker, not mm. a Christian shoemaker. That's true. Yeah. Right. He, you look at the thing that has to be done. He said And then you that. look for the, those skills. Yeah. And so, yes, in a way, um, in a way, you would hope that if a Christian was equally right and capable and so on as others. And if mm. they integrated their faith well, then mm. a Christian ruler, as Luther would have said it, would be preferable because mm. they might be more humble, have less hubris, mm-hmm. be more interested in God's will and so on. But um, oh. you know, the United States is the most complicated organization that's ever existed in the history of the world. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm not sure anybody can lead it. Yeah, It may be beyond human leading. Right. Um, which is a bad idea. We should rescale <laughs> so that it can be led. Right. But I'm not sure it can be. And that's one of the reasons why I think for the presidency has be, is becoming more, I don't know if I would call it a joke, but a fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, it's, I think that the Biden presidency may have, may have shown that a little bit mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't in any sense think this country is being led by Joe Biden. No, I don't think he has nope. the capacity for it. I'm I'm of the school that he's not so senile he doesn't know where he is, but that he doesn't have the mental wherewithal to to do what a president does. Right. I mean, like I'm I mean I'm sorry. Like people are like, well, Trump no. can't do it, and you're like, well, okay, listen, maybe Trump can't do it. Maybe that's right. But if Trump could right. can't do it, there's no way this version of right. Biden can do right. it. Right. And what what that means is what we should have known for years. Yeah. Is that the president is a figurehead mm-hmm. of machine that's mm-hmm. created this numerous people that we don't know who they are. Yeah. That are yeah, doing all right. kinds of things right. and making all kinds of decisions right. behind closed doors right. that we did not elect. Right. And the only choice the president has is choosing those people. Yeah. Right. And so you don't want a weak president because you don't want a weak person choosing those people. Right. You want a really strong person choosing those people. Right. And so I, somebody like West is West isn't going to be the president in the sense mm-hmm. that he's not going to be the chief executive officer that makes all the executive decisions. Yeah. He's going to be a fig. He would be a figurehead for four years and he yeah. would choose a bunch of people that would make a lot of decisions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the president is basically the chooser. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing that's, that's interesting to me and in that, uh, so, so Cornell West announced that he was running for president and he's running for the green party. He was running for the people's party. And then he switched last week to the green party. He did? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, people like the move. I don't fully understand it. See, um, I mean, he could. He's got to be careful because I mean, he could be a spoiler for the Democrats, and they could just hate him forever. They will because if he stays in the Green Party and he doesn't get out when the main election comes in, and there isn't a third party candidate right. to the right of Trump or whoever, yeah, I mean, he literally could deliver the presidency to Republicans. Yeah, just like Ross Perot delivered yeah. the presidency to Clinton when yeah. he ran against Bush. Yeah, or all the third party voters in 2016, they say that's what won Trump the the election mm-hmm. against Hillary. Well, I mean, it's it's pretty arguable that that yeah. happened with George W. Bush and Al Gore too. That, yeah. that just a couple percent to the Green Party in Florida yeah. made the difference. Otherwise, Gore yeah. would have been president instead of Bush. Yeah, right. And to, and yeah, if he Bush. takes a huge portion of those left leaning, because but the thing that that I mean, I love, I mean, I love these leftist third party candidates because mm. the the margin was so narrow in most of the elections that a couple percent is all it takes. Right. You know. And 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 they've been screwed. I mean, Bernie was screwed two two elections in a row. I mean, these these guys are. The, I I actually have more sympathy for some of the more socialist people like Bernie and Cornell. When you say West. Bernie was screwed, what do you mean by that? He should have had the the Democratic nomination. Do you think parties are obligated to make their nominations utterly, like utterly populist, like like whatever people? So because like the Democratic Party, right, mm-hmm. is a party. Yeah, and they have right. rules, right? And their rules favored super delegates. Do they over... have rules? The Democrats, <laughs> like, what I mean, are the rules? I mean, yeah, up until re- the reason Hillary Clinton was so far ahead was because the, the Democrat Party had rules about how delegates are appointed, and yeah, they had and right, they favored right. super delegates over vote delegates. And right. the reason they did that was they didn't want a Donald Trump situation where somebody who's right. a good performer who is pot popular in a populist way has no idea how to govern like can just stand up on the party and perform and control the party which that's, is what trump did which is what sanders did and the and the de- the democrats are like we don't want that's not you, what the you think that's for. what sanders did you think he was a more like a trump figure like yeah. i i felt like why Bernie do you think sanders... people switch between trump and there's a lot of people switch between trump and sanders fairly easily because right. they were like a we're going to make it different. We're going to tear it down. We're going to do it totally different. They had yeah. very different policies, but. But don't you do, you don't feel like, I guess. They were both anti-elitist candidates. And yeah. I think anti-elitism is very popular in America. I think yeah. that's what Tucker Carlson is. He's an anti-elitist. And, right. and like, honestly, I connect with that a lot. Right. Even right. though I'm right. kind of an elite person in right. a way. Right. I'm not elitist like Yale grad elitist. Right. You know, and I understand that like. I don't want elitists making all my decisions for me yeah. in my life. I resent that. So in yeah. that sense, I'm in the populist. Group. No, yeah, I think the thing that was that blew my mind though in 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 looking and figuring all this stuff out, or I guess over the last month, who's running for president, who's not. Uh, Cornell West announces and gets eighteen and a half million views on this Twitter announcement, and Pence announced I just like that two point four million views. So not, and this is the former vice president versus a guy that. It, it, it is popular. I don't but, think anybody's interested in Pence. No, nobody cares I, about Pence. But okay, but this is what's even crazier. But, that, but that's, I mean, that might be what's wrong with America, right? We don't want a good, boring person. <laughs> yeah, right. Because he's just kind of boring and yeah. people don't find him that exciting. And I think yeah, that people I, hate him. I, I mean, think that we need to get, like, if I ran for president, yeah. I would be make politics boring again. Right. It would be like, what we need is the most boring president who in the history of the world get stuff who is yeah. going to just run the government well. Yeah. Be like moderately yeah. centrist. Right. Like not try to take anybody's cheese, yeah. like, but try to move towards like well-functioning government and like mm-hmm. making reforms where that's necessary for an increase in right. function. Right. And then we need to try to get some spending under control yeah. so that we can actually have social security but in 25 years. people don't vote for that. You got to be crazy. You got to be in front right. of the I, But I would be like, listen, let's put the pressure on Hollywood and TV and Netflix yeah. and Amazon 
to right. co- to produce entertainment for us. Yeah, there's pl- we have so much entertainment. Right, th- they're just bad at it. Right, and they right. could get better, but right. we should not be getting our entertainment from politics. No, I agree. Like, news is not entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know? But okay, so so here's what was even crazier though, and I think this is what a lot of older people do not understand in America. Mm-hmm. Cornell West gets eighteen and a half million views. It's trending all over the place, and then. Ron DeSantis, uh, maybe a couple weeks before that, announced, and he only he got twenty seven million views, which I know is like okay, that's ten million views more. But for a guy running as a Republican and a guy running as a Green Party, that doesn't seem to me to be like a huge difference. You know, you would think that the Green Party guy would have two million views, and the Rep- and and it would just be like a twenty five million. You know, but yeah. it's not. The people, younger people, are totally in on this socialist more leftist ideology and so yeah there the, the guy like cornell west i actually think has an actual opportunity to maybe 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 we're not there yet but potentially win like i, I don't well oh and can you imagine so like i mean cornell west is no empty suit like yeah. he may have some views that are attackable but not very well from the left yeah and can you imagine Joe Biden? I don't know if you've seen what like West on stage or talking or performing or debating. He's he's, uh, but, he's sharp. I mean, he's he's yeah, also like in, in my view way sharper than Barack Obama. You think he's sharper than Barack Obama? Oh yes. You think he's? I guess what I'm thinking about Barack Obama is how uh, he's a statesman. But I guess people that people aren't like President Obama was a little slicker than most. Yeah. But like, I never got the feel. Now, part of this might have been Barack Obama was just disciplined to keep his right. message where people could understand it. Right. right. But like, I never got the sense that President Obama was. I I didn't get since he was dumb, but I did not get the sense he was intellectual. Really. That he okay. like really understood issues very deeply. Huh. Um. Now, almost no candidate do I think that of though. It's not yeah. like it's not like Barack Obama wasn't as intelligent as other people. Right. Their goal. Just, they have to be somewhat of a generalist and be able to talk about yeah. everything on a kind of surface level and then put people into positions who understand those issues very deeply. Yeah. And so, uh, but so like, so Cornell West is like, he's a, he's a leftist. So these like yeah. green party people are like him. Yeah. He's a black man. Right. There's going to be a lot of right. loyalty in the black community. At least hear him out. Look, man, he sounds like a preacher. Like he, he's he a, is a preacher. No, yeah. there's no question. Yeah. He literally is a preacher. Okay. But do you think it's wrong? He's that's... steeped in that stuff and he does it on purpose. Do you think it's, yeah, I know. And it, and it works. I do remember that. Who was that guy who debated Jordan Peterson? He's a black guy. Mm-hmm. Who yeah, is that? Michael Subtin. Yeah. Absolute buffoon. I, nothing he said made any sense in that entire uh, thing. And yet. That discussion did not endear him to me at all no he was a he was a jerk but and, and i'm not and i don't want to compare to, he tried Cornell. to channel the black preacher thing yes exactly he definitely did yeah but i thought in a very unendearing way no right yeah but when i've but seen cornell west do, that, do it right. yeah i, I it seems yeah. endearing he, i get ex- i was west well, has a very compassionate demeanor yeah. and he and he's not you get this sense when he's talking that he's not trying to alienate right. anybody he's cool like he's cool like he's, he's also he's cool. cool yeah I, when i watched yeah. his video i was like this is cool. He pulls it up. Well, he's he hangs out with young people. He's been yeah. a professor for a long time and right. he's cared about that. But also like when he talks about like he's black and he's, white issues, yeah. he's not trying to make people think white people are demons. Terrible. Yeah. He's like, look, this has been the black experience. I mean, this is right. like a young woman growing up. And he'll tell a story that'll cause you to empathize with this 17 year old black girl from South Wherever. Baltimore. Yeah. And you'll be like, man, freaking her life has been hard. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not like, and you whitey, yeah. you suck. He doesn't right. do that. He's like, you know, we just have to have a country that where she has a future. Right. Where she knows she's loved. Right. But the, and you're like, listen, that is a, you're like, yes, that is a country that. kind of yeah. wish I <laughs> Then it's how you want to get that done is what, yes. where we run into problems. But yeah, when we watch this video of, of him running, I think people should go watch them, the video on Twitter. He, 
it was it was i was like yeah man he's saying like he was saying stuff about the like uh the the cleaning out kind of it's drain the swampy type stuff like that trump talked about but yeah. just in a more he's just cool like he just is a cool black guy and i and i hey, listen if he can drain the swamp i mean trump mm-hmm. had four years and he did a little bit. Yeah, but he put people in there. Well, I, he, but the swamp is hard to drain. There's a lot of inertia yeah. in there. Yeah, well, it's terrible. But the, and then the people that he that replaced in the swamp, like with Lauren Bobert, you know her from from Colorado. Mm-hmm. Just I think she's a congresswoman. I can't. She is one of the dumbest people I've ever heard talk ever. Mm-hmm. I can't. She has no idea what she's talking about. Yeah, and so he definitely he puts these people in who just do whatever he says. Yeah, they President Trump is him. definitely looking for soldiers. Yes, and 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 but they don't think. And yeah, and they're often not. So here's my question then about people of extreme competence. This all. I mean, maybe we don't need to tie it back to to the emotional stuff because I this has nothing to do with that. My next question, <laughs> but I think it's interesting. Do you then think that there's, depending on how this next election goes, um, you know, because I think that the only people people who have a chance on the right of winning is Trump and DeSantis. Um, on the right. And and I don't, and I honestly hope Trump doesn't. I don't want to see him for four years. And on yeah. the left, you have Robert Kennedy, you have uh, Cornell West, obviously Joe Biden. I In a real race, I don't actually, I wouldn't actually ever say Joe Biden had a chance, but who knows? What's the future for conservatives? Do you think that they should should develop their own party? Conservatives. A new party. Sorry, not the Republican Party. Because what you see happening on the left with guys like Cornell West is that they're joining these less lesser known parties. And I don't know if if he'll stay there for the entirety of this of his presidential run, but they feel like on the left they're trying new things or different people are running and they have different ideas and they're not just running with the same old Democrat situation. On the right, everybody's a Republican, and I'm wondering if it, the future holds a new party for true conservatives that isn't Trump conservatism. I don't. I don't see how. No, you don't see how. Um, no, I think quote true conservatives is a, actually a fairly small percentage. Of the yeah, there's like nobody. That's and so true. I just don't think. Right. Not. I think in America you have to be coalitional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think, I think for a long time, I mean, right. this, we're, we're going to be in the same, I, okay, this is going to sound, some people don't like this, but I think we're going to be in a situ- similar situation to black Christians, right? For years, African-American Christians who believe the Bible and believe in Jesus in order to be part of the democratic coalition, which they think is in their best interest, have had to be bedfellows with the LGBTQ movement and like Goldman Sachs and mm-hmm. like all kinds of people who they mm-hmm. probably did not. Right. love being in a coalition with, but they had to be a disciplined part of the coalition in order to get some of the stuff they wanted. And I, I fear that conservatives and Christians and then Christian conservatives, even right. a smaller group right. are, have been, have already been in that group for a long time. The thing right. that's similar with black Christians or the African-American vote and conservative Christians is mm-hmm. both can be spoilers mm-hmm. for the party. Mm-hmm. And I think probably being able to spoil your party's mm-hmm. run mm-hmm is more powerful than if you were like another party. Right. You know? Yeah. You can change your husband better if you haven't divorced him yet. They can change you too. I mean, cause I think yes, what's happened in the black true. church is a lot of them have kind of become politically pro LGBTQ. Like, I mean, I've seen black church. I mean, even yes. you go, you go to know downtown Madison 
and the white and black churches downtown that have kind of sided with the Democrats over the years. Are, I mean, you, you see pride flags everywhere. And to me, that's just like a no go. Like I would never step into a church that was pro LGBTQ. I'm just not doing that. Cause I, I think that church is apostasy. I don't think that that's the church. I, and yeah, I, I feel for, for fairly me, confident. Little, for me, it's a little bit like abortion in that, like, this isn't the only thing to think about, but if you haven't gotten this one, right. It's hard to trust, trust everything judgment. else. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, th- okay. So let's move into talking about, uh, cause some of this has to do with, with some of the things that we want to talk about at the end of this podcast. Uh, uh, how is Optive doing two weeks in whatever, two and a half. Um, mm-hmm. We, so, so I guess we'll talk about the first thing. We have the the weekly. So this is a um, a weekly newsletter that comes out obviously every every Friday. And um, the idea behind this was to kind of just give people an insight into uh, what's what's literally happening every week. You know, I think a lot of a lot of news right now everything has a slant, and we wanted to just say here's two, three to five of the biggest stories this week. Here's a title a little sentence on it and then if you wanted more information you can go to and then i put in two or three uh different sources on yeah. the right and on the left and people can just choose for themselves so yeah um, i I'm, yeah i'm hoping that we'll get to the point where we can have a few more stories than that so we've talked about right. this a little bit that like right. um at least for people like me i don't really like a daily news digest because no, no. i i just i can't i get so many emails i'm such a busy person right. that i i don't do daily news and a also, lot of daily news also just doesn't nobody cares about it like yeah. there's so much stuff in there that you're like i don't yeah i had a i had an anthropology slash missions professor in seminary who said what percentage of the news becomes history hmm. like that of the Not, stuff that's like passing in front of your face how much of that ends up mattering one percent and the answer is like yeah way less than one percent right and then how much of that like should have become history or right like, is yeah. worth looking right. at so generally speaking i'm more interested in like facts mm-hmm. and what and like longer right yeah so i think that news is the kind of thing that like you keep up on a little bit you just yeah. kind of have some sense of what's going on mm-hmm. but you can't nobody can quote pay attention right, right. unless it's your job right and so that's right. just America has gotten complicated enough where you need a, a, a class of people who they basically their whole life is big in news digest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you have to figure out who among those people you kind of trust. Right. And that's, that's where you end up being because if you try to do that yourself, I, I think that it becomes a, like a bad hobby mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. probably is going to lead to a lot of, yeah. a lot of anxiety and stuff like right. that. And you won't really know what's going on. Right. I've, I've, I've gotten both sides. I mean, so, so you said you wanted more. Some people said they wanted less. But I guess let's just run through what this last week's was so for people who listen to this podcast who maybe not be Is there a way to go to the stream website? Uh, there isn't, right? No, it's, uh, I'm going to... You should have it, but I'm going to forward oh, I'm sure. it to you. I think you. it is in my inbox. You have it. Because I'm oh. subscribed to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be stupid if you were. Um. Okay, So so basically how this works... So last week, um, says uh, basically uh, we have five five stories from last week. So the main ones are on Saturday, June tenth, Theodore Kaczynski, the Unabomber, was found dead in his prison cell in North Carolina. Theodore Kaczynski committed suicide at a federal prison medical sure center. Sure, he did. Right, the same way that Epstein did. Um, 
committed suicide. At a, that's a joke. By the yeah, way. I know. <laughs> uh, committed suicide at a federal prison medical center in North Carolina. Krasinski murdered three people and injured twenty three others from nineteen seventy eight to nineteen ninety five. For for more information, to go to and then I have a link to the New York Times or to the Daily Wire. And so um, that's the first story. I thought that that was a, again a lot of these. What I found difficult as I'm trying to curate these stories is there is so much stuff in the news that literally I. It just, I don't think anybody cares about. And so you look through it and you're like, but. Okay, my my red hot hatred is mostly safe for news articles that quote tweets. Oh, really? I hate those articles so much. Because people are saying saying this. It's like this tweet and this person has like nine followers. And you're like, oh yeah, this is a big deal. This is what people are saying. It's kind of like trying to, it's trying to like tell you. Other people have this opinion, right? Because you're supposed to have this opinion if yeah. they have it, because you don't yeah. want the anxiety of not. Being they used accepted. to quote like uh, research, uh, yeah. you know. They used to, to quote, yeah, it's so Cambridge it's, and Oxford. Now we're quoting Twitter. Yeah, uh, the second story that we had was that J.P. Morgan Chase they reached a 290 million dollar settlement with Epstein victims. This was. This, Which feels low. Right, and it <laughs> blew my mind that this was not all over. I mean, I saw it on yeah. some, but. Uh, victims of Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein alleged that J.P. Morgan Chase allowed a uh, bank allowed Epstein to facilitate his sex trafficking operations through accounts at their bank. J.P. Morgan Chase said in a statement that we all know now understand that Epstein's behavior was monstrous and believe that this settlement is in the best interest of all parties, especially the survivors who suffered unimaginable abuse at the hands of this man. And then the links are to Daily Wire, CNN, BBC and Reuters. Uh, yeah, it's just you just never you don't. Yeah, I, th- this is it. so I didn't want to be conspiracy. I was like, why would a bank know what the flip is going on? Unless it's like, well, well, how right. could they not with this right. level of stuff the how know? high he is? You know, he's a he's a big client. Um, the the third yeah. story is it sounds like they wanted to escape discovery. Is what yeah, that sounds like right, to me. Right, yeah. right, and also like, okay, if you're a bank and you were like, I don't, I didn't have anything to do with this. Why are you settling for $290 million? I mean, that seems like a, a fat chunk of money. Yeah. And I mean, cause if it goes to court, right. They, the defendants get discovery. They get to go through all your documents and they right. get to like, and nobody wants that. And, and it right. might be because they, they were cheering Epstein on and they were on the planes and everything. It also might be that JP Morgan's like, look, I don't want We've to got enough that. crap right. in our documents right. that we just don't need people going through it right. and it being public we'll for give the country. Three hundred—it's crazy. And so you can just drop three hundred million dollars, <laughs> and it's like no big deal. Uh, this happened on Thursday that multiple U.S. government agencies were hacked in a cyber attack. Uh, so it's still unclear how many. See, this is why Hillary Clinton was smart to have her own server at her house illegally. Right. Exactly. Yeah, thank God. These things aren't safe at the U.S. government. Yeah. And so it says unclear how many and which agencies have been hit by the U.S. cybersecurity. But the U.S. cybersecurity infrastructure security agency, the CISA, stated that they were, quote, providing support to several federal agencies that have experienced intrusions. And then for more information, there's a Wall Street Journal and the Boston Globe. That was a story that was literally like developing as I was writing this. So Mm -hmm. there's not a bunch on that in here. And then we kind of had. So those are the three main ones. And then we have a section that says. In other news, um, I thought this was interesting. Robert F. Kennedy, he was just on Joe Rogan, and he's running for president as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. He, according to The Economist and Forbes, Robert F. Kennedy topped both President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump in a new favorability poll, which I think is quite the feat. Um, yeah, especially since Robert Kennedy is supposed to be this like crazy like conspiracy theorist. conspiracy theorist yeah. you know but like right. when you listen to him in long form so he was on 
Peterson right before mm-hmm. Rogan, right? Yeah. So he's on Jordan Peterson, then he was on Rogan, and yeah. Um, and if he's right, right that no one will debate him on the vaccine stuff, that is dam- a little damning. Like right. you should be able to have a good vaccine right. person come in and say Kennedy's wrong. Right. Here's why. They they won't. here's the science. They and won't. if they don't do that, it's like, I'm sorry, like, because he he said that on Rogan because I listened to that episode. He's like, you listened to the whole thing already. Well, I listen I, to them very fast. I haven't listened because most of these people talk really slow. Dude, his vo- he's got a voice problem. So I didn't realize that he had a he voice problem. He sounds fine. He sounds fine at one point eight or two point three. Oh, really? But yeah, when if you yeah. listen to him slow, it's it's not yeah. good. I can't even I can't listen to Jordan Peterson slow either though. Really? Yeah. In fact, I I think Jordan Peterson talks at one point eight because that's all I ever listen to him at. That would be. It would be. And he's very interesting at one point eight. Because he's fast and he sounds smart. Yeah, and, it's like yeah. wow, I can't believe you could put these thoughts together this <laughs> so fast. fast. This yeah. is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I think Kennedy is. I think he might shake things up a little bit. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, but man, I would love to see a debate with him and West and Biden. I'll tell you what, I would tune in for that. Yeah, I would. I, I, have, I, I, I would mean, too. I am very my level of interest in. I actually primary don't care about Joe debates. Biden being in there. I would love to see West and 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 yeah. If Biden Kennedy. doesn't show up, it almost might be better. That'd be great. Yeah, I don't want to hear just just mumbling and jumbling oh, through his yeah. stuff. Um, the yeah. last story, I'm sure he would say something, and it wouldn't be cra- too crazy. But yeah. I mean, I just I don't. I, I know. The, what, I think I know what Biden is going to say, so I don't right, really need to right, hear him. Right. You know, yeah. like or he's been in public life for forty years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I do think Kennedy's like, I mean, Kennedy's stuff, like some of the stuff Kennedy right. says is verifiable. Like he's in, he's like, in you a, can look at yeah. the, um, the biomass per pound mm-hmm. harvested by fishermen in the Hudson river. That's and what I was you can say. find out if what it was in 84, 1984 and what it is now. Like th- these are verifiable things that you could look yeah, at. Yeah. And, and he's it, an environmentalist. I mean, yeah. it seems like he's a guy that Democrats could get behind as far as environmentalism. He seems very pro- good uh yeah but he's mostly focused on pollute pollutants and toxins yeah more than like global warming and solar energy though i mean i'm sure he's i'm sure he's for that some of that stuff but right it it is kind of refreshing to have robert kennedy run because he's more democrat he's more classical he feels like a yeah, reasonable he, classical Democrat. He, yeah, I mean he is. I yeah, mean, I think I think that he. I think his level of respect for his father. Yeah, who I think is Bobby Kennedy, right? Not I John F. Kennedy. I think John. No, F. no, he, was, he, it's Bobby. It's not John. John right, yeah. JFK is his uncle. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so I think he respected his uncle John mm-hmm. F. Kennedy a lot, but he really right. respected his his father Bobby Kennedy a lot. Okay. And I think that. I don't think he's frozen in time or anything, but I think he understands the, like what kind of Democrat that was. And I also think that's the kind of Democrat that like minorities like, yeah. like I think African-Americans yeah. are kind of like, cause he's, cause he like, he, he's not, he's trying not to be an elitist in the bad sense. Right. And he wants a country that's really for everybody, Yeah, but he's not, mm-hmm. he, he despises the Jamie diamonds and the, like mm-hmm. the people that like, are the people right. who control everything. Yeah. And these are the kind of people that like Hillary Clinton was like, could not have been more in the bag for. Yeah. And he's a little bit outside of that. So right. Right. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's not like I know everything about this stuff and like, I can be like, Oh, I'll just tell you Mr. You know. <laughs> but I think that yeah. I do think that he's going to affect things somewhat. You just never know mm-hmm. what's going to catch fire. And right. I'm, I'm not sure he's going to catch fire. Right. But I would actually be interested in the conversation but... between him, DeSantis and, uh, Cornell West. I, I feel like just, I don't know. But anyways, the last story is uh, that Nevada Republican Governor Joe Lombardo signed a bill into law last week. 
uh, I guess this week, that will force insurance companies to pay for individuals' transgender procedures, including surgery on minors. And then you have the ABC News and Daily Wire here. Uh, this is this was interesting because it's a Nevada Republican governor, and you just wouldn't expect that. A lot of Republicans right now are outlawing that kind of thing, and mm-hmm. uh, and so you know, and there's the argument, obviously, that oh well, he's not a true Republican, and maybe I'd agree with that after this, but. But that's that was an interesting story. And so um, these are kind of the main ones. I know there was a ton of stuff about Trump and this week. And I I shied away from it because I don't know if anything's if there's one. It, if I'm being honest, I don't I, I feel like putting Trump into some stuff it, it discredits it. Like, I don't. I just don't care about what's happening with Trump. Now, if people care a lot about what's happening with Trump, then reach out to me and tell me they want to get updates on Trump. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm just not going to be like, like all this stuff. I think it's unjust. I, I think Trump did stupid crap. I think everybody else in office oh, you does mean, the, like, exa- the indictment. Stuff? The indictment. Yeah, I think with, with the documents I mean, and stuff I, like that. Like everybody else is doing that. I don't that. see how that's not national news, though. I mean, it, it to is. To have a president indicted is national news. No, no, it is. It's everywhere. But to me, I'm like. I, this already happened once. Then this just this already ha- I don't like I don't care because this is this isn't just this isn't justice. Every Democrat has doing the exact same thing. Hillary Clinton did the exact same thing. Nothing happened to her, and I just don't. Well, and of course they had all those. They found all those all files those, as Biden's. Yeah, Biden's and garage, Biden, right? Which and they don't like, do anything about that. So to me, yeah. I'm just like this is illegitimate. I don't really care about it. I mean, people care about it a lot. Maybe I'm biased. I don't want to be biased, but I don't. Mm. You sound biased. I know. I know. But it's hard for me to, like, I can't stand Trump. And it would be nice if he went to prison and couldn't run for president. That would be great. I, it would be nice just for the time being to get yeah, him out of the Yeah, but I don't race. want our country to become a kangaroo republic in order for that to happen. It is if, already. I know, <laughs> like, but I, I want to pull back from that precipice. Because the thing you, is, you think if, that you, he if, shouldn't if somebody go to like, if somebody like, if we send somebody like Trump to prison, right, in public it's, life, yeah, it's gonna be then we are going to become that country. We're going to become that, or like Russia or whatever, where it's just like, Whatever you're politically going against. We're going to just yeah. take this person down if we yeah. want to. And the, and the public's going to go, okay, well, I guess. I mean, I feel I like. I feel like the outrage over this should be palpable. I think that what should prob- what needs to happen, and I, some people I think are really not going to like this, but I think that it would be better for Trump to be elected president again. Wow. Than for him not to be on the basis of this alone. I, yeah. Because I, I think if you can criminalize, if you, because like we have so many. Like there are yeah, literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of laws in America Yeah. for everything. And it's getting right. to the point where it's like, you find me the criminal and I will find you the law the, he broke. Right, right. Right. And some, anybody who runs into public life is going to be engaged in financial arrangements and policy arrangements and right, campaign arrangements right, right, right. in which it's almost impossible to do everything right. Right. In which right. case, if we then go and we go like, well, we're going to get this mm-hmm. person for this and that, yeah. then all of a sudden, like you, you can just take anybody out. And you're talking about somebody who we know a sitting president surveilled. Right. We know that he was that a FISA court, which is ought to be the most sacred court in America. Mm-hmm. Um, wantonly like you start going through some of these things with president Trump. It's like, listen, there's only so much that his jackassery Mm -hmm. can account for Mm -hmm. in terms of like what people do. Yeah. 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 Right. And like at some point, Mm -hmm. the people who aren't Trump have to like, like, right. Like they, my problem is not that Trump isn't in the low moral ground. The problem is, is that the people who are against him 
are not right. taking the high moral ground. Right. Right. They right. are they are maybe lower than him. Right. And right. and that to me that's really frust- frustrating. Right. And and I also think that the judicial system is different than the political system. I think it's frustrating, but I don't I don't. I don't, I think it's inevitable. I think it's over. Like, I think if you've already, they've already well, no, impre- I think, impeached I think them you once. Can fight, I think you can fight for the legitimacy of the judicial system. To have DAs and judges in the legal system becoming complicit in this what kind What are you going to do to fight it? How can you change stuff. it? You can't change that. They're well, in the legal system. They create well, the, they, they're the ones who change things like this. In a, in a way, but the only check I know of, and see, this is why I said what I said before. The only check I know of is for the people to simply overrule them. The so. people of America would have to just elect him and say, listen, screw you people. Hmm. I mean, that, yeah, you know, I, don't, yeah, I don't know how yeah. it's done. No, so I, that's I mean, what, I'm, so, I'm on board like, with I'm, that. I do not want, that. listen, I do not want another Trump presidency. I did not want the last Trump presidency. Right. Okay. I don't like who's running for these offices. I don't like who people are electing. I don't like any of that stuff. I think it's Caveat all bad. Caveat that with that. He did a good job. As a yeah, I think a bunch of his policies yeah. were good. And I think right. a lot of the stuff he did was good. But um, I, yeah, anyway, yeah. my point is, is that corruption is the wor- is the worst thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a government. Yeah. And um, President Trump is not the most corrupt figure. Right. And in, in, in the fights that he's in right now and has been in, he is not the most corrupt actor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, it frustrates me that people won't see that. Yeah. And I think that, um, I just think that like, if the, if the American populace mm-hmm. doesn't say, screw you somehow, right. and maybe they can do that by electing Cornell West or Robert F. Kennedy or something right. like that, right? maybe, or Ron DeSantis, right. and he will still do screw things over. Right. <laughs> but I just think like, there has to be some resistance to this. Oh, I agree. Otherwise yeah. it's just not going to, I just don't, we I, will not recognize America. I don't. I already don't recognize it. Well, the reason why I have more of a hopeless view is because there's the, the more than fifty percent of the vote this time around is going to be millennials, Gen Zs, and they do. They don't. Everything that that Trump stands for, everything that isn't ultra progressive to them is conspiracy theorists because they're so brainwashed. And so I just look at these people and I'm like, they're not going to do the right thing. They never have. That's just what I, I don't know. So mm-hmm. they might get sick enough of the of the Biden economy, though. I mean, like, dude, uh, the economic dynamics. The economy in Minnesota sucks. It's worse than the Biden economy. It's terrible. And yeah, the they voted for right it again. Now, I don't feel like it. Yeah, it is amazing. The self-punishment. They of keep some of these doing folks. it over and over because they're so ideologically driven. They if, if you say I'm pro trans, but I'm going to take all of your money tomorrow. These people will be like, all right, I'll, I'll give you my money. Like they don't, they just don't think they'll be like, okay, that makes sense. So I don't, I just don't have a lot of hope for my generation and the millennials. Gosh. Yeah. They're a problem too. But okay. So, so then, uh, so that's the weekly. So if you, if you, that sounds interesting to you or you want to. We're still working on that a little bit. So we'd love some yeah, feedback on it. Right. Um, my vision on for all it, this stuff. We want yeah. My vision on. for it is something you can read in about three minutes. Okay. That it's weekly and that. Um, you're, but my mm. my vision is you there would be ten or fifteen news stories and you'd be reading two sentences for each one. Ten or fifteen? Yeah, because it replaces God. it replaces your need to look at the news for the week. See, see, Scott told me it was too long already. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this yeah. is the issues that we have. Scott, Kyle, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I I don't know. I 
I think that like maybe maybe the way it's structured, like it's like here are the here are the top four, and then in other news stories, and then other news stories is like ten. It's just like okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. We could let us yeah. know what you guys think. Yeah. What, what do you guys want? So yeah, I think like if you had a section like the stuff people will be talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's cool opinion pieces too that I'm like. This could be if we had a section like for opinion reading. pieces or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, because even Optive has opinion pieces, which is what we're going to talk about next. Yeah. Uh, on our website, we put out. Um, so tell people how to sign up for the weekly. So, OK, so go to OptiveNetwork.com uh, and then you can just on that home page, you scroll down and it's right there. It says subscribe to our newsletter, the weekly. Uh, put your first name, last name, email address, and then you click subscribe and you will be you're in. Yeah. Yeah, we've got I mean we've got almost a hundred people signed up for it. Yeah. So that's not bad. And the um, network is the website is optivenetwork.com. Optivenetwork.com. Uh, there's a large there's a large uh company called Optive. Optive uh it's it's like a it's like a computer company. No, no, aren't they science or something? I, cyber risk. Cyber we drove past them. Optive manages cyber risk. Yeah. So Yeah, uh, this is funny. So we're still working on web optimization so that when you put an optive into Google. Okay, or whatever, but no, no, but if you up. do type in optive network into Google, mm-hmm. we're the first ones to come. No, but that's what I'm saying. That's why we need to say search on optive network. Optive Tell network. people to search on optive network, not just optive. Because right. if you just put an optive, yeah. Uh, there's this a lot of stuff that connects with that that is not. We're us. trying to buy them out right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, don't don't go to optive.com. It's optivenetwork.com, um, and then yeah, on that homepage you can just go put your first name, last name, and your email address in. You click subscribe, mm-hmm. and you'll be subscribed to the weekly newsletter. And it'll prompt you for a gift to the Cornell West campaign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what. It, yeah, we don't support any anybody, but we except for Cornell. Um, Okay, so our only, our only Christian candidates, only Christian candidates. That's right. Though I think there, I, there, I think there are a number of Republican candidates this time that are also professing Christian. I think Tim Scott is a professing they all, Christian. They all are. They all say they're all going to say they're professing Christians. But there are some that when you listen to them talk, they're actually they don't, they don't say two Corinthians. They like President Trump did it. Liberty. Oh, did he say like, two Corinthians? Yeah, which is how the English say it. It is a way you can say it. But yeah, I but don't Trump, think that's why Trump he says it. That it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, he so we've read it off the teleprompter. Right. We've had a bunch of articles come out on the website. We tried to be consistent. Uh, first week we did about two, and then the next week we did four, and this last week we've done three articles. Um, uh, three or four of them, which have been exclusive um and so you know we started with i wrote a, a little introduction article to the website called the future of media and uh, just a hey, welcome to optive network here's what we're trying to do here um and angel who's a writer uh she very very good writer she wrote an article called the fights we fight and again it kind of goes with the theme of of what we were trying to do at optive mm-hmm. the uh On bridge building versus tribalism right yeah and kind of the political polarization that's got us to where we are societally and so that one's great i mean i think that's the second or third most uh viewed yeah a little bit longer site. piece but but yeah. well conceived and well, well constructed read, yeah. Um, and then, and then we have, uh, you know, we had one come out called what is the conscience? This one is, was by my dad, but this was a, uh, exclusive one. And I, it was about, so we actually. By Ty Schmidt and it it highlights the book conscience. Yes. What is it? How to train it. Right. And loving those who differ by Andrew David, Maselli and DJ Crowley. I have that book and I've read that book. It's a good book. It's short. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if you read, um, Ty's thing and you're like oh that's kind of interesting that i mean that's a good book to get read yeah. because it's it 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 uh, it's helpful it's short it's well right. conceived 
and um, you might find it very Did helpful. you think that that was that article did a good job? I haven't read the book. Did it do I a thought, good job of? Uh... I didn't read all the article, but I thought okay. that I thought it did a reasonably good job of good. covering some of that good. stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then we had um, the. I think one thing to say about this is like um, the way Optive functions is we don't try to get all elitists writing for us. So yeah. the goal is not to like you know who could write for the New York Times someday. It's right, kind of like right. so we have people who write for us that are like you know, English majors and stuff like that. Yeah, and they're writers. Yeah, yeah. But then like, I'm a pastor. We have right, pastors write right. for us. My dad and, didn't even go to school. He didn't yeah, go to college. But and, I, yeah, your dad's yeah. kind of a blue collar guy who right. also, but is intelligent and reads right. and tries to think about his right. faith. And so right. our goal is, is that to, where right. we want to create pieces written by people that like look at the world in different ways, have had right. different experiences. Right. right. And the not are they're and not come to their they yeah. haven't just come to their views because they went to Yale. Yes, they right. they come to their views in lots of different ways because they've lived life. Yeah, yeah. And so we're trying right. to keep the the quote quality of writing mm -hmm. up higher, but at the same time, there's so many different ways to write. Right. What we're looking right. for is clarity. Right. So you know, Ty Schmidt's article is going to look really different from like than from one of my articles. Yours or Anne's yeah, is going to look Anne's, different. Yeah. But um, but the idea is we're going to keep the writing clear. Right. Make right. sure that they have a good content map. Right. Like they're right. making a point. Right. But they're going to a lot of these articles mm -hmm. are going to sound really different, and that's intentional. Right. That's purposeful. Yeah. We want we don't want everybody to sound the same. Annalise wrote, she's written two. The first one she wrote was A Sluggard in the Sabbath. I thought this was... She's uh, going to be like Cher with just her first name. It's going to be great. <laughs> We've been trying to get her to make a fake last like a name. Fake last She'll name. need it for, for her something. book or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, The Sluggard and the Sabbath. I thought of that name. I think it's freaking great. Um, this the one was The Sabbath? The Sluggard? The, the Sluggard and the Sabbath, yeah. So uh, clever. Obviously about uh, the Sabbath. Uh, Annalise is a... I think she is a really good writer um she does a good job of, of staying on track uh, mm -hmm. the idea behind this this one is i mean she's just discussing laziness and and what it means to um i guess what it means to fight back against laziness why why she thinks it's important for people to practice a sabbath she's presbyterian i don't actually agree that we should practice a sabbath in this way but yeah that's, but I read the draft of this because you wondered if it was too Sabbatarian. Yeah. And I didn't think so. I thought yeah, the stuff no, that she no, said no, this was is good. It's a good article. It is a good article. I just don't agree. But that's the point, too, because I think yeah. one one thing that we're really trying to – I'm trying to work on for this next month is for articles that people don't agree on, I really want to get people responding to each other and start working that yeah. out. Um, but right now we just wanted to get content out there and have people read it. And so um, – Yeah, to be clear, the conscious one we just mentioned is behind the paywall. Yes, the conscience one is is behind the paywall. Yeah, and then and then the net and then we did also release. Um, so five days ago, I released mine. Uh, back to the Renaissance, how how art, theology, and philosophy have intersected throughout history. This one I actually wrote a year ago, but we had to change some stuff up and um, just make it a little bit more concise. And and so the people who are helping edit it is my wife Andrea and um and angel and both of them have done i think a really good job editing all of these things yeah. and staying on track and making sure that we have pieces coming in and i yeah. thought they've done great yeah Anne is great she's just a great contributor yeah. um both in terms of her uh her own writing i think mm -hmm. is going to be great but also she's just a she's a careful editor and yeah. she's also just a very thoughtful person right and so she can not just change sentence or she can say did you really want to say this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that that can be really mm -hmm. helpful Right, right. And so, so yeah, this one is... Uh, one, one of my articles, in fact, so I should, we should say this. This You wouldn't know this because this is within the editing house. Yeah. At, like I wrote an article and then she didn't just start to edit my article, but wrote, wrote a response a almost as long yeah. as my article. Right. 
And I don't know if the solution is going to be for me to just clean up a couple of sentences in my article or whether it's to publish both. See, my, my idea but, here is I want you guys to, I want you to publish yours originally. And then I want her to publish. Like, I don't want you guys mm-hmm. to be like, oh crap, I got to go back and change it. Because what I would like to happen is then you write a rebuttal to her rebuttal instead of it being all behind mm-hmm. the scenes and writing back and forth. I want people yeah. to see how these things develop. And so, but in terms of efficiency of reading for our members though, if, if like I don't phrase a sentence really carefully and then she yeah, writes five paragraphs it. about right. that, yeah. like I All think me going like, yeah. oh, well, I didn't mean that. Right. That is, is better for our listeners. Yeah. But if I have a view that is yeah. substantially wrong and part of it right. is, is that right. what I wrote didn't, she didn't so much disagree with as it triggered right. a, she's like, well, wait, there's another explanation for this too. Sure. Sure. And then she said, I think my explanation right, but it, covers yeah. more of the phenomenon than what you're saying. And it's, I don't think that's the yeah. case, but I think it could easily be the case. It's funny because you, you guys are arguing about this stuff in the going back and forth in the teams. And then Andrea's putting her piece. It's just everybody's just arguing. About it. it's, it's great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, OK. OK. So this article, I, I kind of break down three pieces of art historically. Caravaggio is a calling of St. Matthew. Uh, Van Gogh's. Uh, Starry Night and Jackson Pollock's uh, number 48, 1958 mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. 1948, number five, 1948. Uh, and and it's a general overview of how art has, the point that I'm trying to make is gotten worse throughout time because of our philosophies. Oh, I didn't so, realize the picture that Scott yeah, here Scott has put the those three, three paintings in, in it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought he, that was cool. He must have cut them into it or something yeah, somehow. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I was like, oh, wait, that is the Pollock. Exactly. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. Starry Night. And, and they're oh, the wait, that's Caravaggio. Yeah. of the paintings too. Like that's kind of proportionally. It's proportionally. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. If you don't know, if you don't know that Scott went to University of Minnesota and was a fine arts major. Yeah. So he took all the art history yeah. and stuff as well as the drawing and painting and all that kind of stuff. All of this art and everything that you see visually is Scott, basically. Yeah. I mean, so um, other than the very famous paintings, he cut and pasted. Into right, the, yeah. right. He didn't do those <laughs> ones, unfortunately. Um, yeah, but I did only two. Only one of them was really good. So. I did some work on um, on Pollock when I was younger. Really? Yeah, because I really liked his paintings. You like Pollock? The <sighs> splatter paints? Are you talking about? So is okay, this so when I when I read your article. Which basically takes the view that as art moves away from realism, yeah, it also in some way tends to move away from its ennobling characters, yeah, and doesn't yeah. doesn't lift us up the way it should. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Do I what it's sort meant. of agree with that, and I do think looking yeah, at those. Yeah, but you're three, more liberal than I. You're I think more, if you yeah. look at those three paintings and you say these paintings help us see where our worldviews have gotten us, yeah, I think that's true. I think that's what I've what I was trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I so so the general point you made in the article, I agreed with. I do think, however, that like, um, and and frankly, <laughs> I, I don't play. like. I don't really love Van Gogh style. I don't really like impressionism. I don't. Frankly, uh, I, it dep- I'm not saying yeah. I don't like any of the paintings. That they're all bad. I just that style to me is not. I don't like it very. I just don't particularly like it aesthetically very much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However. Um, going through a lot of like the, like the realist paintings of the, like the nether history of the Netherlands and like some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of some of those paintings either. Really? Yeah. However, like a lot of the, some of the like religious paintings, they are great paintings. Um, so. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the Renaissance. I just, I, I, yeah. I feel like um, we should expect artists to be. 
so, so okay, I, I think there's two things going on with artists. I think artists usually have a certain kind of temperament. Yeah. And they are going to make stuff that is going to be weird or or like like not not realist, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's I I think that, that like I don't want to say that that's not art. Or I mean, even okay. sometimes that it's bad art. It depends on what it is. For instance, I consider Van Gogh to be art. I don't think it's that good, but I consider that to be art. Do I? And I don't. I don't really like it. Similarly, I do not think throwing paint at a canvas is art. I do not think splatter paint is an art. But for instance, like one of my favorite painter ever is Edward Hopper, who nineteen uh, hundreds. Do you know Edward Hopper? Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably know his super popular painting is uh, Nighthawks. Look up Nighthawks by Edward Hopper, and so he. This is this is more realist. Uh, do you have it up. Oh yeah, yeah. So th- that's more real realistic and stuff. But what you'll notice about that painting is that so the diner that they're sitting in, there's no door to get in or to get out. There's a door on the back behind the behind the uh, counter. So like, there's little weird things in it that I think it like this is a, this is the level in which I'm okay with reality being distorted, or because um, he's trying to make certain points through through not having uh, a door there and and things like that. Um, but I'm not like the when when it gets to the point where it's just you're just throwing paint at a canvas and you sell it i mean in here i said you know that that his most popular piece Pollock's popular piece number 5 sold for 140 million dollars i just don't like how could you possibly sell something like that for 140 million dollars who what is going on maybe for I a mean, tax write aren't you looking for how could you buy something for that much right you could sell it i would i'd feel okay selling you how could you be so dumb to to, to buy it I, like i'm okay with a certain level of weirdness and art obviously you have to yeah. have that but i'm not okay if it literally is yeah nothing. i mean yeah i think it's obvious that pollock I, yeah so i think that i so yeah i mean i struggle with this we maybe we need to have scott on he can give some ideas we should about do a full podcast and, on paintings and art, yeah. and art historically yeah. because i feel like I th- to me one of the one of the th- things that so like with with the Caravaggio painting you could say could another artist have done this mm-hmm. and I think the answer is yes okay. but Caravaggio conceived of something and created something and if you and it's not easy to have another painting that's fully interchangeable with it it feels like with Pollock it would be fairly easy to make things that were pretty interchangeable with what he did that like if you got like a an ambitious college student you gave him some money and some sticks and stuff you don't even he, need, yeah. he could like make paintings that are not unlike Pollock's yeah and so I think I think what happened here was that was the move from the external to the internal like I think that Pollock's paintings were because like even yes. in impressionism yes impressionism is like my impression of the thing mm-hmm. so it's half realist half right. subjectivist right and then you get abstract impressionism. and then you get just subjectivist right right, right. and I think that I think that it is the case that that Pollock painting does kind of represent what some of our internal lives are like. Mm-hmm. And I can identify with that. I get that. I get that. Uh, okay. But you see, for instance, like if okay, Andrew and I went to Chicago. But I don't think that painting from Pollock, I don't feel ennobled by it. No, but I don't feel like it. It, it also I, doesn't really tell you what's going on inside. It, like we, we went to uh, mm-hmm. to the Chicago Museum of Art and 
Um, there's a whole section there that's all the Renaissance stuff. And you could go there and it's it's like so detailed and so realistic. And yet there the stories that are portrayed within it, um, you'll have maybe the prodigal son in his room. I mean, there's a really cool painting in Minneapolis of the prodigal son. It, at, he's left, he's like indulging in his sin. There's women in his in his house with him. And uh, he's such a narcissist that the painter put a picture, he, he paid for somebody to paint a picture of his own face, the prodigal son, and then put it up on his wall in his house. So there's those things like that where I'll look at that and I'm like, that's obviously within the Bible. There's things that are added to this that aren't necessarily in scripture, but... I look at that and I'm like, that guy's life's a mess. I can see how you could get there. I don't look at Pollock mm-hmm. and see a bunch of different colors and be like, yeah, man, that's how I'm feeling internally. I mean, maybe if I was like suicidal or something, mm-hmm. I would do that. But I, I feel like there's a level of realism to chaos as well. And this just doesn't feel realistic. I just don't see it. I'm just not like, Listen, I know you're I think, to I think you. that Pollock's popularity far uh, exceeds his merit. Okay, so I right. I'm with you on that, and I I feel like one of the things that bo- that bothered me about Picasso in the early days is I would look at some mm-hmm. of the Cubist stuff and I would say, I don't think this guy can even draw. Right. And then like yeah, I, I'm torn on. And Cubism. then you look I, at his like his sketchbooks, and and Picasso was capable yeah. of complete realism. So was Pollock that way as well. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that about Paul, but I know that about him. But I do think that there is some Cubist stuff that I think is interesting. Yeah, but then there's some stuff that is just like that Picasso did because he was a disgusting, horrible person. <laughs> that like, like I think there's this like there's this woman yeah. sodomizing herself, and like the Cubist yeah. Cubist realism allows that to happen. And you're like, um, I think this yeah. is disgusting. I think right. we have to say this is art, right? But and it's, it's gross and it's disgusting yeah. right. and it's it takes away from way, the nobility yeah. of the human person who takes it in. Right. It seems a lot like porn. I mean, it's like something like that. You right. Know? Our, our porn, our porn movies, movies. Right. right. And the answer is, well, yeah, technically. But yeah. No. And do they offer right. you something that no other movie offers? And the answer is, well, yeah. Right. Right. It's um, just not anything. Are they, are they good movies? Right. And you're like, well, they are very watched movies. Yeah. Gosh. You know? And so like, I think, I think you have to admit that there is a wider range of artistic interpretation. I agree. But then to say, as a Christian, mm-hmm. what did God create beauty for? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what should our theology or philosophy of aesthetics yeah. be? Yeah. And I think that Christ- art that is produced by Christians should have right. should have a Christian, not Christian, I would say a, a creational or redemptive dynamic. dynamic yeah. I think sometimes telling the story of sin is okay, though. Yeah, right. Like if, right. if a Christian wrote a story about someone ruining themselves in sin, yeah, and there was not apparently a redemptive message no. at all, I still think that's a true yeah. story. I think and, if you tell the yeah. truth, it's still yeah. creational and Christian in that yeah. sense, right? So I don't think every right. Christian movie has to like if you're a Christian, you're like, well, I want to make a movie, but I don't want just want to mm-hmm. make movies about yeah. people coming to church and get mm-hmm. believing Jesus. And you're right. like, well, yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, because it's not real life. Yeah, and and I, and I think. Um, I'll go as far as impressionism and then I can't go any further than that. I can't go, I can't go past that. Like even some of the impression, I, I would say Monet is impressionist. Right? You know, when I was in high school, um, I was taking an hour class and I had studied a little bit of Pollock and I had, I, I entered, um, I had two pieces of my art entered into an, like an art competition thing at my school. And one of them I had done to be a preposterous idiot. And the other I had done kind of in a, like a abstract style. Mm. 
Yeah. It was just basically like a few squibbles of paint mm-hmm. thrown on something. And then it was, it was a print. Right. Mm. And, um, the print almost won. And I'll tell you this. <sighs> here's the, here's the funny thing about it. My art teacher rescued it out of the garbage. What do you mean? Like I made this print and I was like, oh, that's stupid. And I, I threw it away. Yeah. And he was just walking by the trash and he saw it and he's like, oh, that looks kind of good. And he pulled it out. What the heck? And he put it on a mat board and he entered it in this competition. I didn't even know he did it. You almost won. And I almost won. And people, because it was, because and when, you, if you, when you went through the art competition, there really was nothing like it in the room. <laughs> and people looked at it and, it and it like, it just something about those colors and those lines just sort of like, just, it just sort of did something for them. Right. And I think we have to admit that we don't know what that was. Right. But art triggering whatever that is, mm-hmm. is art. Yeah. Or people. Even if I, the artist, didn't even recognize it. I mean, in, in some ways, I get it. I get it. I get it. I just So on some hate. level, on some level, the reality is Pollock does something for people. And the question is why? Yeah. Well, and right. is it that they have so departed from reality? Yes. Yes. That art that is completely departed from reality yes, feels like what's it affirms them. To them. Yes. Because we were in, in, in Chicago, we're, we're there and it's a really nice art museum. Oh yeah. Everybody, everybody is in the abstract section. Everybody. And then we go to the, the, the high Renaissance era and there's like 10 people there. Nobody's there. I mean, we noticed that about Minneapolis yeah. as well. We went to that art museum about a hundred times that every time we were there, we'd go straight to the, to the Renaissance and everybody was all at this abstract weird. That's yeah. what they wanted to see. And I think it's because yeah. they're attracted to that internally. Cause that's what they know. That's what they believe. And yeah. that's who they've created themselves. Yeah. And I, th- I think in that sense, like art is usually liberal, right? Yes. Yeah. But um, but art can do both things. Art can root you to the past and mm-hmm. root you to reality, mm-hmm. or it can create subjectivist abstract things. And yeah. I think that, I think both of those things can be worthwhile, but I think that when you live in a society, but the question is like, well, what kind of art does this society need? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's more abstract. Art. Right. I don't think, I it's think it may art. be more art that is more yeah. grounding. And I don't know if people have the capacity these days to do what they're doing in the high Renaissance. So I don't know artists today that could paint a car, what Caravaggio is doing. That's possible. Yeah. And that's sad, but I couldn't do it. So I don't know. anyways, yeah. that's what this article is I about. Think that th- there are like pretty talented realist painters out there. I just think with photography, yeah. I think like photography kind of killed. Realism. So, so, so this is what, no, this was an argument. That was what Ann said to me. Mm-hmm. Well, what about photography? And I, and I said, I don't know if I even responded. Well, Cause anybody it. can push a button and create perfect realism. Yeah, but that doesn't take away the the magic of what's real. And I think that that's what I'm I'm trying to. Uh, one argument that I'd make is like, yeah, photography did help you capture the moment, but when when Caravaggio was was uh, asked by the Pope to start painting real paintings in the Counter Reformation to make sure that people could connect with the biblical stories, mm-hmm. he wasn't there when Jesus called Saint Matthew, mm-hmm. but he he painted it in a realist way. He created he took a piece of history that can't be photo- uh, photographed, mm-hmm. and he turned it, and he made it real for people. So the idea that yeah we start taking pictures and videos and that you don't need to make realist art anymore just yeah. I don't I, I think that that's too it's too it's too modern of an idea you know there's there's thousands of years of history that people are interested in learning about and and seeing and that's why we make movies um like the gladiator and things like that because you want to see what happened in that time period and i think that's why we make paintings like this it's like 
just because we got we have cameras that run film doesn't mean that we only film things from today. We we try to create things from from the past, recreate them, and so people can rewatch them. I guess watch them for the first time. And I I just don't think that the photography argument to me that doesn't hold much merit. Because mm-hmm. um, I I love photography, but it's not you know it doesn't mean that we start distorting reality because Van Gogh was doing this 200 years ago or 150 years ago or whatever. How, when we, Do you think Van Gogh was distorting reality? Oh yeah. I mean, did you read the quote, quote that I had? Did you read the article? Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, look, that, that was a quote about his faith, but his dad was a, a pastor and he had rejected the faith in a, in a way. I, I don't think that he was intentionally trying the same way. That I don't think Pollock's intentionally trying. I think that this is a result of what they believe that what they were painting was what they see. And I think what yeah. they see is distorted and off yeah. and wrong and not real. And so they start to express themselves in that way. I mean, I, th- I think that that's what happens to people when they stop aligning with the truth. Yeah. I, I, this has been something I've struggled with for a long time with Christian faith is how to stay rooted artistically yeah. and yet produce art that yeah. is great. I think that the the people who do that better than anybody in Christ, in Christianity, like I would say Caravaggio does that, but I, I would say uh, C.S. Lewis and Jarrah Tolkien, because I look at their worlds that they created in Narnia and Middle Earth to be, that's art to me. And obviously like fiction is art. And um, I would say that's true. I think no, no, especially wait, true Tolkien. What is it? I can't, I can't get non- those. Fiction. It's is, fiction. Yeah. Okay. Fiction. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true for Tolkien. I think literature, for me, literature is a little bit different than the visual arts. That's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, and and Francis Schaeffer in the last century like wrote a lot about this, about like art and how we should conceive of it and how wow. how we should understand beauty. And that mm-hmm. Schaeffer very much believed, and I think he was correct about this, that the trajectory of art has followed the trajectory of philosophy. Yeah. That you very like in the Renaissance, and then as you move through things into the Enlightenment the art changes to meet how people are feeling and thinking. Yeah. Right. I think that that's true. And in that sense, I mean, I know some artists will not, won't like this, but like in that sense, I do feel like mm-hmm. art trails behind in some ways more than it. Like really, I think, I think it's it not moves setting ahead the, the tone. It's following the, it's following the, of the, the, of trend. the thinking of what's going around. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's, I don't think that the philosophers learn from the artists. But I do think right, that the populace, right, 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 right. I think that the normal population, yes, it's, a, it's a mediator between the philosophers and, and the yeah, average because person. they're trying to take a mm-hmm. philosophy and people don't believe in philosophies yeah. because they're true. Yeah. The, the artist tries to make it compelling or beautiful mm-hmm. or strong or right, right. something that appeals to people. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be some level. I think that what I was, I've thought through this, you have to look at what's been historically, uh, what's what's lasted like the the high renaissance is not people will be looking at that stuff for the rest of of human existence i think they're going to always go back to the high renaissance and they're always going to be i wonder if that's true i mean we're pretty secular right now and there's there's still a lot of high renaissance uh influence and on our art like it's lasted i mean i think the high renaissance was a breakthrough in art for sure yeah and the the ability to capture the human form in a fuller sense. I think there needs to be a level of transcendence in that you can that you can feel by looking at the art. Like when I look at Caravaggio, or sorry, when I look at Van Gogh or Pollock, I don't feel uh, not. I don't feel like 
convicted or anything like that. Like, I don't like when I look at them, yeah. I feel hopeless. I guess, but the Caravaggio doesn't do that much for me either. You okay? So I think the way that Caravaggio uses lighting can can get that done. I think it's called. Uh, gosh, there's a, there's a technical term for the way that he uses lighting. It's like. Um, you know, golden hour when the sun's shining and it's golden hour or whatever. Uh, he's really, really good at. It. I mean, his painting, his car, car, the calling of Saint Matthew does that because there's no real objective light in the painting other than what's coming. Like, you, there's no source of the light other than what's coming from the top right hand mm -hmm. corner, and that's called. Uh, I can't remember what that's called, but I think that 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 the way that he, uh, you don't get that feeling from his paintings. The like the, the like transcendent. Uh, like I don't I get like goosebumps I like the first time I saw it I got goosebumps I just thought it was like oh my goodness this is a moment in time where Jesus is pointed and there's a, a moment of indecision Matthew's got to make this decision of whether he's going to go with the money or he's going to go with Jesus I just thought I I don't know maybe that's not what it does maybe yeah no I mean I do I think that that I think that's there and I think it I'm looking at it right now right so yeah I yeah I think it's I think it's a really meaningful painting I don't yeah, I guess the other cool thing about him that I love is that he would paint himself into paintings all the mm -hmm. time for the taking of Christ. He painted himself. You you can go look it up. The, 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 uh, the taking of Christ, I think is what it's called. He's, he's holding a light. Um, so, so there's Jesus being taken by the guards and, you know, and I think this was found only in the nineties. This is rediscovered in the nineties, but he he's being taken. Do you see what the painting I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. So he's being taken and in the back, you see one guy looking and he's got a lantern and that's where the light for the photo is come for the painting is coming mm -hmm. from. And that's Caravaggio. That's him. And the point that he was trying to make one is that he was there's that he was wrestling with his own faith, but two that the artist has the power to illuminate the stories that people want to see and, and care about or that, that have been that are human and things like that. The other one is David slaying Goliath. I believe that Caravaggio is David and he's Goliath as he holds Goliath's head. I think it's the older version of him. And as, as David, it's a younger version of him. Hmm. That's an interesting one too. I, that's, I've seen that painting. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty popular one. Um, I don't know where it is. I don't know. I, some of these are in uh, Paris at the Louvre, I think which would be awesome to go to the Louvre. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to the Louvre, so if it's there, I haven't seen it. Oh, you mean you think you've seen it in real life? Maybe yeah. it's not. In the... No, I don't think I've seen this version of it. You, is that the one where he's like holding the head uh -huh. and he's got a sword or whatever? Yeah, I think Caravaggio is both David and Goliath. His face is. He's painting himself okay. as him. Yeah, I, yeah, I struggle with that. I do think that like... Because I think some Christians are like, if it's not nobling, it's not art. And mm -hmm. I think some Christians are like, art has to be like explicitly Christian. And yeah, I, I don't, mean, I, I don't think that. that, but I, I feel like. And My I, favorite I, movies are not I Christian. do feel like um, artists tend to be transgressive mm -hmm. and in highly controlled. So for, for a lot of the stuff that they're going to do, that transgressiveness is going to be against things, things that are actually fairly wholesome. Mm -hmm. And. And also they're trying to go against a kind of legalism or like a, 
uh, a deadness because because they're gonna they're gonna focus on romanticism in in the in the sense that they're gonna try, they're trying to like open the human experience, which is more than just human intellectualism. Yeah. And I, I think that that's really good, but I think that like a transgressivism gets involved in sin and other things. And then the artist is trying to make whatever they they're focused on. They're trying to make that thing beautiful or compelling. Mm -hmm. And so if what they choose isn't holy, mm -hmm. then they're going to, they're trying to make something that isn't holy, compelling and beautiful and that has a negative effect. It's disennobling yeah, yeah. to the human person. And so I, I do think that there's a huge problem in art in that way. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to say how, what are you going to do with cubism to make it like no ennobling and yeah. beautiful. And yeah, I like there's, there's the additional problem true. that you get a lot of self-involved people in the arts right. who can be like narcissists or who but, can be horrible, dissolute right. people. And Picasso right. was one of the, one of the greats of that. I mean, he right. was a, a really terrible person right. Right. who made art that a certain generation found fairly compelling. Right. I, well, I, th I, I also think that the, that I think that the great, the thing that was so great about Picasso though, was that he came up with something that was original. I think, I think cubism felt really original. I've never thought cubism was very compelling though. Yeah, I've there's there's a there's like a room of cubism at the Minneapolis Institute of Art, and it's cool. I don't know, he just walked through. And I, like, I think it goes cool. along it's with fine. Picasso because I think one one of the things Picasso lived was yeah. the distortion of life. Right. I think that his life was about the distortion of humanity. I'm okay. I'm and so the idea right. that that's what he painted doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm actually okay if the intent. So one of the things that that pisses me off about modern interpretation of art is that. Um, there's this thing where it's like you can interpret art however you want to interpret it, not based off of how the artist created it, which I think is ridiculous. It's like you don't watch a movie and say you were the guy and dies at the end and be like, well, I interpreted it that he didn't die. It's like, no, this is what happened. That was the intent. And so you don't get to interpret art the way that you want to. The the art has a purpose. And I mean, well, unless it's Jackson Pollock. But anyways, <laughs> the the uh, the interpreting uh so i would be okay with this impression this impressionism uh like van gogh if the point was to set was to show the distortion of what sin has done to creation you know like i'd be okay if the point was look at what sin has done it's taken this thing that is beautiful and it's distorted it yeah i think yeah but I you're 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 like a you're like a you're like a progressive. You're like, you like want, see, I have no desire for the art to be, for art to be like Van Gogh. I have no internal desire because it might be generational though, because I grew up in everything was like Jackson Pollock, everything, movies, music, art, TV. And so to see something philosophy. like Caravaggio, philosophy, <laughs> yeah. to see something like Caravaggio to me was like impactful on like a personal deep level. Cause I was like, Oh my goodness, something exists that doesn't, you know, all the Christian stuff that I saw growing up was trash, like the movies mm -hmm. and stuff, you know, like yeah. facing the giants and you're just like, you know, that's not art. So it might be, it might also just be that I'm. Yeah. But just like I would accept that cubism is art. I would also accept that facing the giants is art. I, I don't. It's just different levels of quality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. my like, brother and I would take a crap on a on a canvas. Is that art though? Yeah, I mean, my brother and I were we were driving to I think Tahoe from his home in Davis one time, and we argued for like an hour as to whether or not the song "Pour Some Sugar on Me" is art. And and he said yes, and you said no. No, I I think he said no, and I said oh, yes. Oh, really? Yeah. That's uh, who is that? Poison. Poison. Yes. Yeah. Poor. Yeah. That's 
Most songs today are not. And you're like, well, I mean, songs generally are a genre of, of human creation that we think of as art. Right. And there is music. There is like, but right. it is kind of tawdry. It feels it's like. Yeah. Um, it is a metaphor. Yeah. Because when I was, when I first heard it on the bus, when I was in like fourth grade, I thought this man wanted a, some woman to pour sugar on him. Right. And that's not what he's saying. I don't think. Um, no. And so. No. Um, it's so like anyway, Song of Songs or a Song of Solomon. Or, it's you know. just like Song it's of Songs. Yeah. Same thing. But no, uh, but, but that's the difference of like two songs about love. Yeah. Physical love. Both use metaphors. Mm-hmm. Both are stylistic and poetic. The level of quality may be significantly different. Yeah. It's, it's, but also the level of nobility is different. Yeah. And I think you can judge any piece of art on its level of on, on a okay. quality, graft on quality, but then you could also graph it on nobility versus ignobility. But there's rules to, to things. So for instance, if you play basketball, but you traveled every time mm-hmm. and you double dribbled every time, and Even if could, I called it the European, the European step. Right, right. The the James Harden. No, you or, oh no, no, not the European. You're talking about the Euro step. Euroglide yeah, or something, yeah, whatever. The, yeah. Yeah, that's a travel. That's called a travel. The Euro step's not technically a travel because you're taking two steps and three is allowed in, in the NBA. And I I and three steps are allowed in the NBA. Yeah, historically. See, I think that is one way to clean up the NBA right now. You no, don't have no. to raise the basket or make the basket smaller. It's, you just like you don't get to travel. Well, I agree with that because they've it, it's been in certain scenarios. Just so, like on up. your way to, yeah, I agree, I agree. Um, okay. Then a little bit of hand checking, but we'll, if that we'll person, have a game on our hands. Are they, do they play basketball? Or are they an idiot who thinks that they're playing basketball? Who travels? Who's traveling and ruining the game because yeah, they, they don't play by the rules? Yeah, um, that's the question. Because what are the rules to art? Because there's no rules to art. Yeah, there are. There has to be because some art doesn't. Some art doesn't work. I mean, yeah, some people I, don't. I think like that's art. what people would say. Arden is Harden is like the Picasso, like. Is it a traveler? Isn't it a traveler? And if you like, say that, what you can he need, get away with? And, yeah. and like, and he makes the baskets and well, he they like, changed the rules afterwards. So he, so they, that's what right. literally happened. So Caravaggio or sorry. Wait, uh, they changed the rules to go along with him or they yes, changed the rules to go to... along with him because he was, because they, because he was making a lot of money for the league. People wanted to watch him and he was averaging 30 points and 11 assists per game. He got his MVP and he was doing a step back move. That was a travel where you just step back to the three, where he'd take three steps back to the three without dribbling. And on defense, everybody would be like, this is a travel. They wouldn't call it because that's where he was getting all of his points. And so they changed the rules. Why Steph think- Curry did the same thing and they called him it must for a have travel. Been, it, must, it must have been close pretty close it's not close why don't you think the refs just like blew it the first time he did it because because it's i think it's dude i think the nba is rigged i think that it's a money-making machine i think it's rigged dude i was just in a conversation with you yesterday what where you were like where i think jill and i were like we like watching college and you're like you people are such idiots dude i will watch rigged nba over college basketball any day of the week college basketball is horrific watching brad davidson throw 10 uh 10 turnovers a game and make one like mid-range shot and people say that he's one of the best college basketball players there i can't do i just okay i will i will concede that i remember watching uw make their run for the national championship a few years ago kaminsky and and sam yeah, and it was that was hard to watch. It's terrible because it was like basketball. you're wide open, you're yep. wide open shooting right. from three. Yeah, wide open. Yeah, can't make the Brick. basket. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Yeah. I remember when I was I was in I think it was in Florida. I can't remember who I was hanging out with, but they were like I was. They were like, "Do you like to watch the NBA?" I was like, "Not really. It's really boring." I was like, "I don't even think they try until the playoffs." And they're like, "He's like, watch it closer." Yeah, it's that they're so good at basketball, right? 
that it makes it boring to, to appreciate the like they day. don't miss shots yeah. like if they're open they make every shot and you're yeah. like really and then we went out for like burgers or something there was a game on and i was like watching i was like they make every shot crap they are it's it's like yeah they're they, perfect they're the so game. good yeah. at this that it's no fun to watch yeah well if you it, so to appreciate basketball kobe bryant did a show called uh detail mm-hmm couple years ago he would he would break down individual players game very specific i mean kobe is like a genius in basketball and when people tell me yeah that 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 college is more fun or better than the nba i I just i just can't even it's like it's i can't it's i don't even know what they're saying yeah like and i've been around the game to be really elitist about it you could say something like this it's like liking a rock ballad over classical music right because what the pros are doing is boring to you like mm. classical music is boring to mm. you you have no capacity to appreciate well, it i could i could add a, a layer to the to my article was that if classical music to me is what the renaissance is to, uh, to music to what the renaissance is to art and postmodernism, or sorry postmodernism, jackson pollock and modern day music is all in the same vein so you know i, I think that that all goes together okay but let's let's continue Real quick, we'll finish this off. There's other, uh, we have on fantasy, Shakespeare and the decline of the attention span. This is by uh, Beth Peterson, B.F.Peterson. Mm-hmm. These yeah. are my favorite. She's going to be releasing these once a, once a month and they're just on fantasy, Shakespeare and the decline of the attention span. I think they're funny. I think yeah. they're short enough. I think they have a, a lot of kind of a she's got a little bit of an attitude with them towards the the industry the fantasy industry it's it's fun i think she does a great job yeah and they will slightly expand your attention span if you read them right exactly they're not super long though i mean they're right 1200 words no yeah not that that many yeah Yeah. um current martin why forgiving student loans is a terrible idea a lot of people like this one i mean he's he's funny uh current is an economics major he majored in economics at, at uw madison he's conservative um, he has a little bit of a savant personality, which yeah, I like about him. Yeah, he's interesting. At the end, uh, at the, the last line of this, I think, would be the last section I think is super funny. I'll read it quick to forgive student loans would feel nice for people like me, but it would in all likelihood create a host of unintended consequences and teach some bad lessons. Perhaps some of the nation's student loans will be wiped out, but I'm not holding my breath. Politicians don't often deliver on campaign promises. If they did, they'd have to come up with new ones for the next election. I just think that's such a zinger. I I love that. Um, Bazinga. Bazinga. Yeah. He he is going to be doing, he's going to be writing a bunch of economic stuff this summer. He's got a lot of, ideas and so i think that's his wheelhouse and i think that one of the things i like about curran is that he he's usually pretty fact rich yeah Yeah. and i think that a lot of and i don't and usually he's not screwing around with the facts that he's quoting no and i think that that's helpful he does his homework i think you'll find him to be a helpful author so two more irony of idolatry this is an exclusive one by annalise talks about um, exclusive means behind the paywall behind the paywall you can't mean. read this unless uh, we, this you one gotta has, cough up the five dollars for this one yeah you're gonna have to do it. i mean it's, so it's good it. though it's it's uh the irony of idolatry uh again i thought that title i think it's pretty good um is about marriage and idolatry and uh idolizing your husband or what that means and so um it's it's, it's a good one she stays in her wheelhouse a lot of times the wife and feminine not feminist yeah, yeah feminine not feminist thing um and then the newest one that we have that just came out yesterday is tom flaherty's science and the existence of god tom's very straight to the point when he yeah. writes he he has a goal and he you know he's he just wants to get yeah. straight to it so he yeah. discusses why it's, it's a pancake it's like it'll give you energy 
for yeah. some of the morning. Yeah. It's just a classic, like, hey, don't forget, <laughs> teleologically in terms of fine-tuning, mm. God existing makes way more sense of that. Right. Just don't forget today. Don't forget that. Right. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good little... You've got one that's going to be coming out next week on uh, the marital romance on sex. Just kidding. Yeah, it's going to be all about sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, on romance, uh, this this will be a, a free one that will be for everybody. But as far as I'm concerned with where the website's at right now, I'm I'm happy with the articles that we've put out. I think they're all pretty good. I mean, some of them I read them and I'm like, I and I read the Atlantic and I read, I read the New York Times on a regular basis, and I'm like, look. These can hang with some of those opinion pieces, like I, like Anne's, like the way her style and the way that she writes. I'm just like this is better than some, some of the so. crap that I read yeah, on New York Times. Yeah, some of it's just assumptions in there because, like, true. you know, you can have a really well written piece, mm -hmm. and if they just drop five or you know a couple of like just not workable assumptions yeah. early in the piece, you thought you know, I like, did that? Did you think I did that? You told me that there was a couple mm -hmm. things that. There were a couple of sentences that you said very strongly that I would have been like, ah, you sure you want to say it? Quite that's me, man. That's, but yeah. I, I know I, I agree that um, there's been a change in art based on our change in worldview. Sure. And our worldview that you has moved from yeah. an external objective realist based mm -hmm. looking way of looking at the world to an internalized subjective one. Yeah. And that has produced right. a Pollocky kind of life. Right. Right. And that is that is not good. Yeah. Even if Pollock's work is worth looking at and we can mm -hmm. call art and it is a certain style and that mm -hmm. style is meaningful in certain ways. It is also demonstrates the chaotic nature of the internal life of subjectivism, right. which sadly in Pollock's case seems to have contributed to his suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't yeah. think like people talk about how Freud killed himself, but Freud also had mouth cancer and was in excruciating pain. pain all the time, so yeah. it wasn't just that yeah. he had a sucky worldview. Pollock though, was an alcoholic and had a bunch of problems. I mean, he yeah. was a mess as a person, not because of. Yeah. He seemed fairly self-ruined yeah. now, whether, I mean, he could have all kinds of traumas that we don't, I, yeah. but I like mean, probably, but I don't, I don't think his worldview helped him. Yeah. No, you know? I, I don't, I don't think so. And, and also to get back to the Viennese psychotherapists, a lot of them that did not have throat cancer also killed themselves. Right. So that worldview, I'm not sure is a great one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and I'm working on a piece right now on how the government, how any sort of, so the public schools were never a good idea. A lot of people will say, well, well, once we conservatives will say, when you take out of the public schools, then we have a problem. And I, I say, when you create a public school, you have a problem. It's not, it's not when you take God out of the public schools. It, it was, it was a problem when it started in 1830 in Massachusetts with, uh, Horace, uh, man, man. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the goal was secularism from the beginning. It wasn't, it wasn't. Yeah. And as Michael Matheson Miller is famous for saying, secularism is not neutral. The right. idea that secularism right. is neutral is false. Right. Has always been false and always will right. be false. And, and that any institution created by the government is going to, it's going to lean in that direction. It's going to move towards power and elitism and mammon. Right. Even if ideologically it pretends to be neutral. Exactly. I think Douglas Wilson said it this way. And I know Doug Wilson's like far on the right, but I, he, I, he, he's not wrong about a bunch mm -hmm. of things. And one of them is he's like, if you took, if you had like a, a religious pride month and you had like Monday was like Muslim day and Tuesday was Jewish day and Wednesday was Christian, Christian day. A lot of Christians yeah. would be really happy with that. But he's like, but you see it's mammon day every day. Like focusing on our economic activity, what we can buy and what we can get, like, right. and that competes with Jesus every day. And so, right. like, sometimes sure. we think we're saying, "Well, sure. but it's neutral." It's not neutral. It's, not, it's yeah. never neutral. Yeah, nothing's and, neutral. And I, I think Christians can be yeah. 
in order to be wanting to be charitable towards others, charity and empathy can lead you to being so naive. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do have to be. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff in the works. Um, Nick is, he's written one on, is Christianity liberal or conservative? That one will come on about 10 years. I've written a bunch of stuff that I'm just not happy with the quality of yet. Um, But I read the first iteration of it and I thought it was good. But for people who are listening to this, you'll probably never get a chance to hear it. I just want to be professional about it. And I just, writing takes so much time and effort. It's, it's easy to just blather, you know, just because there's and I have a lot of essays that I've dictated because I had an yeah, idea right right and like some and of our editors are, and some of their and, editors are yeah. trying to make something and it's and, tough and yeah. I need to go back and yeah. and um right and actually right. content map the idea right. I have st- I have started using Jordan Peterson's behind the like that essay, the essay yeah. I've started to try to use it see if it helps me um it seems to help some. I had it look I started writing a, a fantasy novel on that thing I oh really three chapters in man it's good it's good I'm I'm turning into a movie one day um I had a I had an idea for a movie the other day that I thought was really good what I'm it? not saying it on a podcast oh, no, I mean people gonna, just take it and make that. millions yeah. there's a lot of uh producers and directors I think Christopher Nolan listens to our podcast yeah because I was like I was like oh that's a really good idea I was like hey look for how few ideas there seem to be in Hollywood right now that seems kind of anything anything is better than what we're putting out there in Hollywood but I've literally gone through like Amazon Prime and Netflix and stuff mm. in the last month and I just don't care to watch nothing's anything. good nothing it's, it's I'm, trash. I'm, I'm not saying I, maybe some of the shows are good if I would watch them yeah but I'm kind of going through I was like I don't really want to watch that not interesting no uh, uh, July 23rd Oppenheimer by Christopher Nolan comes out that's I. That's what I'm, that's, I'm looking forward to that for a year. So, Christopher Nolan is the greatest director of all time, and so everything he does is gold. See the guy who did the Batman's. Yeah, he did Batman's. He did Interstellar. He did uh, Inception. He did the the Prestige, Memento. Um, oh, I've seen Memento, Prestige. Memento is good, and Prestige is good. He's, did you you liked Memento? Oh yeah. You must have been like four years old when that came out. I, I watched it like th- four years ago. Or I didn't. Uh, and then Dunkirk. He well, did Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Oh, Dunkirk's great. Yeah. Um, okay. So cool. Yeah. If, if you're listening to this uh, and you think this stuff sounds interesting, go to OptiveNetwork.com. Subscribe. It's five bucks. Uh, we have some other things in the work. Uh, just Nick. Uh, we've been so Annalise is going to be writing a book with a publisher, and we'll talk more about that um, when that's all ready to go. Um, and, and I've been working those deals out and then I sent uh, Nick's book to them as well. So hopefully that Nick can get, we can get, have two books coming through kind of the, the optive sphere, uh, two new books, which would be really cool. Some exclusive content next week. We're going to be doing, um, Nick and I are going to be at Acton university in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a big conservative four day conservative uh, conference, right? Like, I mean, and there's, uh, political professors, economic professors. It's, it's just this big, I guess, Catholic conservative thing. Um, I'm bringing my equipment. So, you know, maybe we'll do some, some podcasts there, some exclusive little interviews here and there. And um, I don't know, we'll see what happens. So, good. so be looking forward to that. Yeah. I've also been working on a guest list for mm-hmm. object theology. So I let, you know, when Andy and I talk, it's fun, especially if we have a, a, like a clear topic that we've been able to do some work on. Like today. Like today. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things I'm hoping is to do is to just get some really interesting guests that we can both talk right. to. And we, I've right. like, I've liked those episodes and I think that, um, that they're really beneficial. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, uh, we'll be back uh, next week with, with more stuff. 
Who knows what it'll be? All right, we'll see you guys on the next one. Goodbye.